And we'll make fun of bad wrestling, old and new, and have a high old time. And joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, the man who puts the pot in his pori, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. I'd like to let you know the humidity is 93% and the dew point is 60.1 degrees Fahrenheit. Well... At least you know your dew point. Thank you for reporting in, and I hate you. Because as everyone knows, a dew point of 60 degrees is comfortable. It's pleasant, even with high humidity. But we down here in Louisville, Kentucky, we've had dew points of in the 70s all week. But at least the the, uh, drought has been ended. We've had rain almost constantly. And now it's actually going to back down into the 80s next week, and we're going to lose some of that humidity. And I hope, Brian Last, that it goes in your direction. Right straight on top of you, right on top of you there in Lastville, New Jersey. We'll see what happens. All right, well, I'm trending again on Twitter. Did you hear about that? I just saw that this morning right before we recorded, and uh, I tried to figure out where it was coming from, and then I figured out exactly where it was coming from. Well, again, it took a second because, again, nobody actually mentioned my name. It's just that then people automatically think of me when somebody says something. Hey, did you hear that somebody did something? Who, Cornette? That's it's the name on the tip of everyone. I'm on the tip of everyone's tongue. Can you imagine that? Back in the old days, it was a good night if I was just on the tip of two people's tongues. And now I'm on the tip of everybody's tongue, thanks to the Internet. Who says the internet's a bad thing? I do. You do all the time. Yeah, and it, truthfully it is. But normally, as I understand, again, how the Twitter thing works, for most people, you have to say something or do something or someone report on something that you've actually done in order to trend. But as I said, I trend just because people think of me first whenever anything happens. And in this case... Because I I jumped on the Twitter machine last night just to see if I needed to retweet any of our fine YouTube clips. We've passed a milestone. More on that later. And I said, well, he's trending again. And I looked, and apparently our our friend Dax Harwood of the best tag team in the world, the uh, FTR fellas, had tweeted a very uh, uh, terse response to Uncle Dave, Uncle Dave Meltzer, who had apparently tweeted something in response to some fan. So it took the fan's tweet, Uncle Dave's tweet, and Dax's tweet to Uncle Dave about Dave's tweet to make me trend, and I'm still trending now, and it's been, what, 16 hours have passed since this, no, 19 hours apparently here on the uh, on the updated tweeter information 
So I just, for the benefit of anybody that might have missed it, let's just go through this thing real quick. Because I've noticed that there are two different types of people on Twitter with two very different opinions, Brian. The people who hold up for Uncle Dave and his friends, you know, the cosplayers and the, the pretend wrestlers and the fun crowd, the fun girls from Mount Pilot. Well, they, when they tweet, they don't actually use capital letters or punctuation or spell all the words right, or they use some kind of bizarre shorthand. Possibly many of them are stenographers or court reporters. They've learned some other language to be able to convey to each other. But it ain't English. Apparently, they ain't too educated. But then all of the people who have the differing viewpoint and agree with the uh, fine folks like you and me, for example, they seem to have a grasp of the English language. They use capital letters. They use punctuation. I'm sure they use their left and right turn indicators in their cars because they're fine people. But the, Daisy, somebody named Daisy, tweeted not even to, as we've mentioned, Uncle Dave. He was not mentioned in his tweet or tagged in the tweet. He apparently searches for people to argue with from the wrestling fan population of Twitter. This, well, hey, this one, Daisy's pretty popular. Uh, described as, I guess Daisy would be a girl, but you never know on Twitter these days because they have, a lot of the guys have pictures of their favorite girl wrestlers as their picture. But uh, described as an unreliable podcaster, and Jay White Enthusiast, with 1,272 followers. Daisy writes, with no capitals or punctuation, people who actually think the Young Bucks are burying FTR or are scared of them in some way are the biggest losers on wrestling Twitter. Now, this was such a provocative statement by a well-known commentator and personality, Daisy, that Uncle Dave does the quote tweet. That's what the kids call it, Brian, right? Where they put the tweet in the box and then they make their own misinformed comment about it. That's correct. And Dave says, actually, they are people who learn from Alex Jones types and can't read. <clears throat> insinuating, uh, obviously, first of all, that this was a, he was agreeing with the take that the young bucks aren't really burying FTR, aren't scared of them. Nobody would think that had any sense. And he's also mentioning the fact that uh, those people that think that are illiterate when he's responding to a person that has never heard of capital letters or punctuation. And also, again, nobody mentioned my name. I don't think I look anything like Alex Jones. We'll talk about him in a little while. But that's when someone else commented to Uncle Dave. And by the way, did you remember 30 years ago, Dave Meltzer had a big, fluffy head of hair, and he worked out all the time, and he's jacked up and had the arms that a lot of people said he looked like in his younger days. They were approximately the same age, looked like Brian Pillman. You remember that, right? I remember hearing that, sure. He's gone from a guy that looks like Brian Pilb. Did you see him on CNN the other night? 
He's gone from looking like Brian Pillman to looking like somebody put a wig on a head of broccoli. I don't know what fucking happened. But anyway, so Dax Harwood, uh, someone who had been referenced, even not tagged, but referenced in the original tweet, responded to Uncle Dave saying that people who think that the young bucks are burying FTR and are scared of them and jealous of them, they're just crazy. Well, Dax responded, Dave, with all due respect, fuck off. Like in the most respectful and loving way, I mean that. When you decide to get two sides of a story, then speak on it. Thanks, dude. Apparently, one of the teams in question is not convinced that it's all caca. And actually, what do the kids say when, when, when the likes of an opposing tweet get more likes than a tw- the original tweet itself? What is that? Are you? Is there a name for that? I have no idea. I think it's it's rated. Is it? Is, are you? Have you been <laughs> overrated or underrated or whatever the fuck? I don't know. Well, Dave's tweet to Daisy got three hundred and seventy nine likes, and Dax's tweet to Dave got four thousand one hundred and seven. I think that means something to the kids. But you know what it means to me? It means to me. That apparently Dax disagrees in a public forum with Dave's dismissal of the theory that the Hardly Boys, the Cucamonga kids, have purposely, as we'll get to later on in the program, ducked that third match, switched themselves babyface to put it off, and avoided the opportunity to be professional and do the right thing for business by putting over the more talented and now more popular tag team. Instead of shooting another angle so they can incessantly get back on the trampoline with their play friends from the backyard. This is, I don't, what do you see in here? Besides a head of broccoli with a wig on it, Brian? I I don't understand that. A head of broccoli with a wiggy doesn't have much hair now. Well, it's it still, he's got more than broccoli does. I was trying to be nice to him and not call him bald. A head of broccoli I was, with a I was I've never heard that expression before. That his, <laughs> his nose is apparently on a land grab on the rest of his face and is taking over fucking property left and right. All right, let's, let's get away from Dave's looks. But let's talk about, you asked me what this is. I can't speak for Dax or anyone else. But I think there's a few things here. One... I think it bothers people because to put this out there, we have a much bigger audience listening to shows like this than reading Dave. And we're saying things that are really happening and we're saying things and putting it out there and people are knowing about it. And Dave is the resource to put out the other side. And when you know a lot about what's going on, it's really easy to spot the spin and usually where it's coming from. And Dave dismissing shit that's real is either Dave going with someone's spin, or it's Dave being ignorant of what's going on, and quite frankly, I have a tough time believing Dave doesn't know what's going on. Well, no, 
but then now there's ignorant and there's willfully ignorant. You can you can just when you when like for example when you walk Swami or I walk Harley, and they start to take the poop, most of the time we'll whistle and look up at the sky and not actually see the shit come out of the ass. We have plausible deniability. We can even see the evidence later on that it's laying there, but we want to give them their privacy in most cases, except if we're checking for worms or anything. So you can willfully be ignorant that an act or a thing is taking place or happening, but um, you have to try. You have to do that on purpose. And here's the thing, a point I was going to make to your comment, since obviously we're not the only ones who think this. We're not the only ones who see this. We're not the only ones who have commented on this or who believe this is a thing because I trended because as soon as Dak said that to Dave and people started picking up on this issue between them, they naturally mentioned me in either saying, oh, that fucking cornet, he's horrible with no capitalization or punctuation, and usually a picture of their favorite girl wrestler on the profile, or people saying, no, actually, he's right, that we feel the same way and we see the same thing. And that's why, again, myself, I wasn't even that. I was not related to the original conversation, but I'm the first one people think of when they have this conversation because we're the only ones with the fucking balls to say the shit that's happening in front of us because neither you nor I want nor need a job with Tony or Hunter or fucking who's running. We don't need to kiss asses of sources. Days. We don't need to kiss the asses of sources either. And I think that's part of the frustration I've heard from wrestlers in the past. And to be honest, I've experienced it a few times where Dave will run with something and print it without going to the person he's actually talking about and just sending an email. Hey, is this true? Hey, I'm going to run with this. That's happened. I mean, it's never anything big, but it happened to me once with Yama pit fighting. It happened with me twice about videos years later. A fourth time won't count where he just misspelled my company name, but it happens to wrestlers where he prints, you know, let's say hypothetical wrestler, Chris Jericho calls up Dave Meltzer and tells him something. That's the fucking spin that ends up in the observer. And unfortunately there are certain guys that are protected over there. And a lot of them end up in AEW. But I remember years ago, remember Dave Shearer had the newsletter, The Lariat? Yes. When it first came out in 95, I, this always stuck with me. There was a letter in there, 95, from a friend of Dave's. Someone who was like, a friend of his, no problems. And it was just a little comment. Gee, it's interesting how every time Conan has a bad match, it's someone else's fault. <laughs> in The Observer. Why is that? And there were a few other things about it. Basically saying Dave protects the guys who Dave talks to frequently. And when it comes to the, whatever you want to call them, the Lollipop Guild, the fucking Divas Division, the Bucks, Omega, Adam Page, and anyone in their little group, they're good mixing with themselves, but outside of that group having to deal with the wrestlers on the fucking wrestlers and everyone else, and go talk to Ring of Honor New Japan. Sometimes it's not just the wrestlers. No, they are unprofessional and manipulative and in some cases liars. And that has to be said. And the fact that they're either being covered up for or someone's just ignoring shit that's actually happening is, I think, what causes some of the frustration that you may have seen from Dax Harwood here.
Well, and if 10 times the amount of people on Twitter agree with Dax than agree with Dave, then it seems like if Uncle Dave was a true journalist, as he reminds us so many times because he went to journalism school, he was going to be a small-town bird lawyer, but instead he went for small-town journalism. You'd think he would say, I don't necessarily believe this, but a lot of people are saying it. But he doesn't recognize that at all. And they all want to put it on me. And they all want to say, well, he's the only one. Cornette's that. He's invented all that. He's come up with all that stuff. He's the only one saying that shit. No, actually, a bunch of people are saying that shit. They just don't have a podcast that reaches this many people, nor has their official YouTube channel just crossed the 300 million view threshold. Farquhar. So... (laughs) Apparently, on the march to a billion, by the way, now we're going to march to a billion. That's Remember right. when we, 10 years ago or whatever, I had a quaint little march to a million. We were going to try to get a million viewer, listeners on the podcast in a year. A million downloads, I think it was. A million downloads, whatever we were going to do. Well, anyway, quaint. quaint now, now that's time. a nice week. That's a nice, it, is it? Actually, it wouldn't be. No, I guess you're right. I guess you're no. That would be I a fairly right. good weekend, I guess, right now. But anyway, so just because I happen to say something doesn't mean I'm the only people or the only people. I'm there's two of me, and counting you, we're the only people that that think that. We're just the people that most people are listening to. Alex Jones, he thinks I'm Alex Jones. And old Uncle Dave is smarter than that because he's not a right-wing crackpot. He used to, after he would malign me about my wrestling opinions, he'd email me and say, but you have very valuable political points to make before I told him to leave me the fuck alone. He would thank you. He would send you thank yous for your yes. fucking commentaries yes. on the show. Yes, that needed to be said. Well, a lot of these things need to be said, Dave. I wish you weren't, weren't so touchy about some of them. But he calls me, and the only reason that I'm not pissed off about something like that is because of the <laughs> the complete shit show that was the Alex Jones trial this past week that fat fucking loudmouth piece of shit on the stand in court I don't know if everybody around the world again folks if the people who are not subject to having to listen to the political fucking state of the United States with these right-wing conspiracy theorists and nutcases and the conservatives and the religious fanatics and blah, blah, blah. But one of their darlings, he was even like a even further right than Rush Limbaugh and not as entertaining. He's just a whiny sack of fat shit. Alex Jones was hauled into court this past week. He has been sued for defamation by the families, I don't know all of them, it was a class action or a number of them, of the kids that were involved in the Sandy Hook school massacre. And they found him guilty. And he's going to have to pay a lot of fucking money to these people for what he's done to them. And I know so this is one Stephen P. New couldn't get in on. I know he was salivating too because everybody wanted to take this piece of shit down. <clears throat> what kind of I, I I've mentioned how 
severely repugnant of a pus-filled boil on the ass of humanity that you've got to be just to see these school shootings and hear about them and see the parents and hear what they have to say and hear the reports that the kids weren't just shot, that their bodies were blown to bits and their heads were blown off and they had to identify them by tennis shoes and fucking DNA because of these high-powered assault rifles and guns that, that these fucking fetishists and lunatics stockpile and want to keep selling and the fucking National Rifle Association, the world's largest sponsor of domestic terrorism, and the rest of these fucking criminal Republican assholes that are on the fucking payroll of the goddamn gun manufacturers. Alex Jones, though those people are bad enough, but Alex Jones is one of these right-wing radio freaks that these fucking mental cases out in Montana in their fucking militia cabins listen to about the conspiracy theories. He ought to be the manager of Hulk Hogan's beat shop. I'm sure he and old Ronnie Howard down there would get along just fine. And one of the things that has been his, his calling card, the worst thing probably that he's been able to do to call attention to himself is to say that Sandy Hook and some of the rest of these school shootings were fake. They were phoned. This is, this is how sick and twisted and demented that some of these fuckers are. Some of them actually believe guys like Alex Jones. You talk about propaganda. You talk about propaganda and trying to make people think things that aren't true. Some of these simple-minded people that listen to this fucking guy actually believe that those school shootings were hoaxed. Crisis actors. And they try to provide proof. Well, there's a picture of the kid that was supposedly killed three weeks later at the mall having a Cinnabon. And they try to tell people that the only reason that these events are reported is so the liberals and the Democrats and the sane people in this country can take your fucking guns. They make it all up. The media reports it. So that the, actually, that would be a good idea if somebody do that. So they take these fucking guns. I don't care how it happens, but it's obviously not the case. And the Sandy Hook parents have sued Alex Jones for defamation and slander and making their lives hell. And he had to sit on the stand in open court and not only admit that he knew that Sandy Hook really happened and he was lying on his show, not only did the judge have to admonish Alex Jones to quit lying under oath in court a number of times, but then, Brian, and this is where you and I both got the big fucking pop, in the discovery process, Alex Jones's own attorneys sent to the opposing counsel, every text message and email and whatever the fuck was on his phone about anything, not just this case, but anything, for the last three years, accidentally. And when informed of that, did not do the official thing you're supposed to do to say, no, that's privileged information, just said, no, disregard that and we'll resend. After 10 days, it fell in the legal hands of the prosecution 
And they fucking told him on the stand to his face that they had that. And it was the first he knew about it. And his fucking jaw drops. And then they ask him, do you know what perjury is, Mr. Jones, before you answer this next question? Are you aware of what perjury is, you fat, slimy, conniving, greedy, avaricious piece of shit who has further tormented the parents of children who were blown to bits by lunatics with the guns that you and the Republicans and the right wings and the crackpots and the conspiracy theorists want everybody in this country to have? Do you know what perjury is, Mr. Jones, before we bankrupt you and send you to the special place in hell you deserve? It was quite a scene. I'd love to have been there in person with popcorn. What do you think, Brian? He said it, and I thought it. You know, you got your Perry Mason moment. I've never seen anything like this except on Perry Mason, where they just nail the guy and you see it. On the stand, you saw his face just drop. Yes. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. It oh, was like oh. an episode of The Honeymooners. Ralph Cramden was stuck for an answer when Alice confronted him about who left the door to the icebox open. Let me stop you for a second. Forget about Alex Jones. What do you think his lawyer is thinking sitting there? Does he realize, like, I'm never going to get another client ever The lawyer was framed in the shot, and the lawyer was just staring at the fucking opposing counsel while Alex Jones' lip quivered. And it's, I'll just say this, and then we'll get back off the subject, but it's also interesting that every single time that they haul the conspiracy, and they've got him, by the way, on perjury, if they want to prosecute that, but he'll, he'll probably need to go back to work instead of jail to pay all these people the money that he rightfully owes them. But it's interesting, every time they get the conspiracy theorist in open court on the stand, they either plead the fifth or say, no, nah, I knew all along is bullshit. Anytime they get the Republicans about January 6th or any involvement with President Pig shit, they either plead the fifth or, yeah, we knew it was fucking all bullshit, all wrong, all illegal, whatever. The truth came out when he got divorced. Because I remember, I found out about him years ago. Someone I know started following his podcast, but it wasn't told me, like, oh, check out this political thing. It was like, this guy's nuts. You got to see him. He's so entertaining. That's how he got hooked in. Because he screams and he yells and he does wrestling promos. That's when I realized, oh, this is a gimmick. This is a gimmick. This guy couldn't make it in radio. He came up with a brilliant gimmick. And he's making lots of money. At that time, I remember listening, and his advertiser was for seeds. Like, in case the world was going to end, you'd have these seeds that you could plant and have some food. And I'm like, who's the audience for this? And then you start realizing, oh, there are people that actually believe this shit about some kind of nuclear bomb going off, and you'll come out of your shelter with these seeds. It was preposterous. But then when you have to go to Walmart to get the fertilizer, who's going to sell it to you? Because the world just ended. But as things got crazier in the world and in America, he got more prominence and more people started buying his bullshit. But I always knew it was a gimmick. He got divorced. And in the middle of the divorce, his attorney, I remember, said he was a performance artist. He doesn't really believe these things. He's just, he's a character. He's playing the character of Alex Jones when Alex Jones presses, you know, on on the camera. He becomes well, a character. Know, see, you know what? And the, re these, the reason that Unc Dave and the rest of these fucking, what do they call them? The, the kids call us the snowflakes. They, they, they like to melt. They wither under criticism. 
that's why they want to tell everybody, oh, Cornette's a gimmick, because people like this Alex Jones do exist in the world, and it's not my fault that there's people stupid enough to listen to him. But I got news for you, Dave. You don't need to call me Alex Jones because I just call your friends shitty wrestlers. I just say that the Cucamonga kids ought to go back to the trampoline in the backyard. Alex Jones tells people that real existing children didn't get blown to bits. There's a difference there. And And he did it for profit. And he did it for profit. He knew that's, that's the point. To, to, to know that you're lying for profit about something like that is even worse than the goofballs that actually believe it. But as I mentioned, Uncle Dave and anybody else said, hey, hey, Harpo, if you're out there fucking sitting there with your joystick in your hand, same thing goes for you. I'm telling the truth. I don't have to make shit up. And I don't have to be a gimmick because I don't give a shit. And the more that you can try to throw rocks at me for my opinion that I'm expressing that so many people agree with, the more that you come off like whiny little bitches, which is what many people that share the locker room with you think that you are. They just unfortunately need the job right now, whereas I don't. And Uncle Dave, you unfortunately need the subscribers right now, which I don't. So I'll just be over here expressing legitimate opinions with facts to back them up, and a lot of people that agree with me for good reason, and you can be over there trying to compare me with rabble-rousers and fucking conspiracy theorists because you're offended that I don't like your friends and I think they're the shits. You're doing exactly what you're accusing him of doing, Dave. And by the way, how how did I get compared? Couldn't I? Isn't there a, a, well, I guess I've answered my own question. There is no left-wing Democrat lunatic. No, but, well, remember when the Bucks started calling you shock jock, uh, shock jocks, I was about to say, they started calling you a shock jock. All of a sudden, Dave started calling you a shock jock. Well, yeah. Like, that's the that's, thing. There are multiple, I'm sure now he knows who Alex Jones is, so that's why he's all of a sudden spitting out Alex Jones yeah. into the fucking thing. It's talking points from, he gets his... March as I wish I could even say Tony Khan gives out the marching orders. Everybody oh. knows he doesn't give anybody any orders. It's it's the Cucamonga kids that are giving out the marching orders and Uncle Dave, you know, salutes. But uh, again, to uh, compare me to Alex Jones, who are the right wingers in this situation? The Hardly Boys. They're Dave, the right wingers. Dave was just on Jericho's fucking podcast again. You want to talk about right wingers? Want to talk about Alex Jones types? Whose whose family was at the insurrection? Chris Jericho. You can you can tie more right wing nuts to that side than you can to me because all my nuts are left wing. I'll have you. I even, as a matter of fact, I ten years ago I had my right nut surgically removed and had somebody else's left nut put in just so I wouldn't have any right wing nuts anywhere on my body. See, your problem is you say the real shit you say off air on air, and the problem is everyone else will say real shit in a text message or on a phone call, or a lot of people will be surprised how many wrestlers are hiding on message boards. This is a fun story to talk about at a later time. But people want to hide. People don't want to say that. You actually do it. And like you said, you're not needing a job. You're not in that locker room. You have a podcast, and not everyone else could say it. But, you know, uh, I didn't do good with previous gambling spots here on the show, but I'll say this. If you ask me to put money on what stories will emerge in the next three, five years or so, 
you'll be hearing a lot of things about Omega and the Bucks and Adam Page. And again, the whole Divas division. I think you'll be hearing lots of stories about them that you'll be saying, why didn't I hear more about this in The Observer when it happened? But we'll see what happens. On holiday, there's nothing like doing nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing for less. Expedia. Made to travel. Uh, all right, a couple of shout-outs. I've gone through emails again. And um, some people I want to recognize, and I'm sorry it's taken me so long. One of these is just a couple of weeks old. One of them, Two of them are from back in June. But hopefully these folks are still listening. Uh, Mike from Minnesota is a long, very heartfelt email, and I won't go into all the personal details, but he uh, he just lost his father-in-law. Obviously, it's the grandfather of his 16-year-old son and 13-year-old daughter, and they were going to their grandmother's house to try to comfort her, and he started listening to the experience in the car. And uh, Mike says, you started the show talking about Bobby Eaton's weak stomach, farts, and draws vomiting on command. Apparently, it was just what the doctor ordered. Both kids were laughing. It's amazing how in times of grief, a good fart or vomit story has the power to take the edge off the pain. I'm so grateful to you and Brian for starting the show that way. You gave my kids the gift of 20 minutes of laughter before one of the most difficult times in their young lives. And uh, when we're sorry for your loss, Mike, and we're glad that we could do something. But he, he did have a PSA down here. Apparently. And I didn't even know this was a thing. Uh, he says, since most of the cult is male, I think we've established that most, please pass along this warning. Tonsil cancer is one of the fastest growing cancers in terms of numbers of patients. It stems from the human papilloma virus. And unfortunately, there is no HPV test for men. However, there are indicators you might have HPV, such as canker sores, or if your female partner tests positive, and if that's the case, get a physical every year and tell the doctor you're concerned about tonsil cancer. Because of that, apparently it's very fast-growing. There's no signs. And it got me nervous till I realized that I had my tonsils out when I was five. So I may be clear. You know, that's what but, happened to Michael Douglas. He got HPV. Is it really? Yeah, that's, he got HPV. I want to say he had to have a, a part of his tongue removed. And they well, said it was and, from, you know, they assume it's from sexual activity with women, but you don't really think of men getting HPV, but it's a real deal. It's a real problem. Well, yeah. And okay, now there's a vaccine for HPV and the religious fanatics and anti-vaccine nuts don't want their kids getting that because it's got something to do with sex, right? And that's dirty. And God would be mad. Is that, I don't know. Somebody I don't know the reasoning. I couldn't tell you. Rip. Okay. Somebody report on a good reason that people have for their kids not getting the HPV vaccine, I think I've heard specifically females because they're more susceptible, I thought, apparently until this. But anyway, there's some either anti-vaccine nut or religious nut reason that there's some, it's about sex, so we shouldn't bring this disease to an end. We should let it run rampant because that's God's will. Somebody fill us in on that. Anyway. I have a, I have a thing here just to correct my story. Yeah, already? Hollywood, no, not about that. Hollywood star oh. Michael Douglas says oral sex causes recent bout with throat cancer. Quote, without wanting to get too specific, this particular cancer is caused by HPV, which actually comes from cunnilingus. Douglas, 68, told the British newspaper The Guardian. And well, that was in so, 2013. Okay. Here's something. Everybody get your goddamn tonsils out or you'll never have fun in your adult life. 
All right, and there's another email. There's a campaign there. (laughs) Yeah, well, there you you know what? Boy, I'll tell you what, if if there's ever been a fucking natural way to stamp out any form of cancer, put that on the posters. You'll you'll never get to go downtown again unless you stop this cancer. Hey, listen, I hate to be so crass, but if there was something that said no vaccine equals no pussy. Everyone would get vaccinated. <laughs> One, two, three. Yes. Well, and hey, and, and, and they've mentioned on Twitter here recently, all the uh, the fanatics that want to get rid of abortion uh, because if, if pregnancy is God's will, even if you've been raped by your drunk uncle, then I think limp dick is God's will too, right? Should we outlaw the uh, the, the Viagra and the uh, all the ED stuff? Man, there are more commercials now on new york tv for doctors like i don't know why these guys think they should be on camera it's just them like talking like hi are you having problem with erectile dysfunction call me no you're the reason my heart on went down <laughs> your fucking ugly face popped up on my tv get back to Baywatch. i'll be fine but no that's the thing if if, if women can't have an abortion then the men ought to help out and give up the viagra so that they can't fucking impregnate the women the religious people who are against all the birth control and everything, are they against vasectomies? I have not heard that particular procedure being uh, maligned, but I, 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 I don't understand if, if they don't want people having abortions, then why are they against, also against contraception? Right. It's like they're getting you coming and going, so to speak. But if they're all for constant reproduction, why aren't they marching against men who are getting snipped to stop their ability? Isn't that just as bad you're preventing god's will well there you go so now there's going to be a snip patrol outside all of the men's vasectomy clinics they're they're going to have a a series of a a gauntlet you got to run through before you can get in there and get your shit snipped another email by the way i wasn't even done yet we got off on a tangent uh, Jeremy from Madison, Indiana, has had a shitty last three years. He beat cancer, but then lost his father to cancer. And then just this past June, what, six weeks ago, whatever, lost his dog Trixie to cancer. Oh, man. And so, uh, Jeremy, we apologize, or not apologize. It wasn't our fault. We weren't even there. But we, obviously, we send our condolences, and he... Jeremy said that his mother and grandmother were wrestling fans and wants to know more about Chattanooga wrestling. And my, we've talked about Chattanooga and the Tennessee Territory umpteen times. Jeremy, you go to the record-breaking official YouTube channel, and I bet you can find some things. But also remember that both our friends Mark James in Memphis and uh, MarkJamesBooks, I think, .com and Scott Teal at Crowbar Press, they've done histories of Nashville. Uh, Memphis, Chattanooga, of course, um, my book on Louisville wrestling. So uh, you can read up on those things and in more detail than we have time to go in here. And and one more real quick from Ben. Um, again, in the past two years, Ben, and he doesn't say where he's from, and it's a Gmail address, so I guess that's not any hint, but He's lost one parent, two grandparents, and two dogs in two years. And so he, and this is not all at the same time. It wasn't like a train wreck. It was, you know, obviously it 
different times, but uh, he's been listening to the shows as a distraction. And, you know, I hate to, I hate to say it. Part of the reason why these people in these bad situations are listening to the show as a distraction is because we, we make them laugh and we take their mind off things. But if I'm saying something funny about someone's misfortune, it may entertain someone else, but I worry about if I make a cornet comment about poor Ben, then it, it hurts his feeling. I don't know what to do. It's like when Don Rickles would be met by fans out in, in public, they would get offended if he didn't insult them. So I don't know whether to make smart-ass comments, but Ben, I'm glad you're not a friend of mine with your social circle dwindling like that. Stay far away from me. But we love you. It's like being slapped by Anoki to write a passage to be insulted yeah. by Jim Cornette. <laughs> All right, real quickly, there's been one question that everybody in some form or another has been asking me either on Twitter or on email or messages or telegrams, uh, candygrams, whatever the case. So to answer everyone who has been asking about this for the past, I believe, seven, six days now, all at the same time, this is the answer. Yes, I saw it. No, I'm not going to review it or talk about it. If I say anything about anything, it's got to be my honest opinion. And for once, my feelings for the individual involved preclude me from expressing my honest opinion on what I saw and in a public forum. I hope I don't see it again. That's my comment that everybody's been waiting for on the thing they've been waiting for me to talk about. <sighs> we, but I got another email. Would you like to hear this, Brian? This, this kind of, uh, it has something to do with the song contest that we do on the, uh, actually, it's not really a contest. Is it a contest? I was about to say. <laughs> we don't give anybody anything. We don't really, nobody wins. There's no winners. Even the listeners, they're definitely not winners. But. Um, but Ben in Ontario wanted to get in on the song submission thing that we do on the drive-thru, but he he doesn't know anything about how to record a song or how the only thing he can play is the radio. He has no musical talent whatsoever, but he believes that he might be a lyricist. So he wrote a song set to a very popular tune that he knows that only I could do properly if I could duet with Twinkle Toes McFinger Bang. If I could duet with Kenny Olivier, this would be the, a, a hit song that would probably sell a million copies. W would you like to hear the lyrics? I, I, I know Harpo ain't here with me, so I'm thinking, hold on. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, this is me. And, you know, Twinkle Toes has the phone sex voice, right? Right. He's got the, the, the lilting, lyrical, breathy. So I'm thinking, this is me, right? I cleared it. This is me. And then it's kind of like with that breathy phone sex voice and the Canadian accent. He sounds almost like Zsa Zsa Gabor. Hello. It's me, darling. So if Jim Cornette and Twinkle Toes McFingerbang could duet 
on a parody of the theme from Green Acres. What would it sound like, ladies and gentlemen? Why did you say Zsa That Wouldn't that be Ava Gabor? Wasn't it Zsa Was it Ava? I can't remember. Well, all the Gabor sisters sound alike. <laughs> they actually all looked alike, too, because they were fucking sisters. But anyway, would you like to hear this song? I'll oh, do the I best I can. Wait. I got no music. Green fakers work for Tony Khan. High spot matches that drag on and on. Outlaw bullshit that's flung far and wide. Forget all the logic and also your fucking pride. AEW's where I'd rather play. I get allergic to kayfabe. I want to do flips with that penta dude. I love you, Tony. Now book me in some lame feud. Sock face! Disgrace! I bitch on Twitch. This is the life. Neck beards love this tripe. Green fakers will be rich. Dun 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 dun. I'm sure someone will put that to music. Very good. I think maybe he is a lyricist. He's he's a he's a cunning linguist. I'll tell you that. We better that's get checked him. for that. You better get checked. We just found out, Michael Douglas. Oh, that's right. Shit. Yeah. I'm starting to get a little hoarse. Actually, I'm just to the point now where it's a pony. Uh, but that's Ben from Ontario, Canada. Thank you, Ben, for for that. I've got notes. Oh, I found here's something else we're going to talk about on the show later on. It's related to wrestling. I know shock, shock and amazement. We're finally going to get the wrestling talk. But at the same time, I found that I found this. And Brian, I told the people several weeks ago, and I've got sidetracked with the demolition and the renovations and all the other things have been going on. But I went through, uh, I was going through the filing cabinets in my office and I've still got some things stacked up that I haven't sorted through, but I was looking for something a night or two ago and I flipped through some things and found a couple of things. And this reminded me, this is a letter that I wrote. I had keep a file years ago, back when you, when you actually wrote letters to people and mailed them in the mail, right? Instead of the email now where nobody keeps anything on paper and, you know, you can't run across things like this. Uh, yeah, back in the old days when you had wrote a letter and you mailed it to somebody, you had to make an effort. You had to get the paper, put it in the typewriter, write the letter, sign it, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it and send it to somebody, right? You had to really want to tell some son of a bitch off to go through all of that. Well, I used to keep a file of letters that I wrote to people that had pissed me off. And various, it's actually labeled letters to pests. And this goes back to the 80s. And this is one of the more recent ones. This was before I, act I actually got email back in 2009. This was somewhere in that same vicinity. But you know what? Some, I, I used to write letters to people who were billing me for things that I didn't agree with. I did that a lot. Or people who sent me uh, defective merchandise or or did something in, in our transaction that was inapropos, right? I like to call them to account for these things. Would you like to hear one of the letters that I wrote? Absolutely. Just one. Yes. This is, I, I had written a check and put it in an envelope and mailed it to pay a bill, Right. And I can't remember because the 
firm or entity that I was dealing with is not on this letter. I had attached a copy of all the shit so that it was self-explanatory, but now I've just got the letter. But this is a an interaction I had with a person I tried to pay a bill from them. To whom it may concern, recently, you sent me a bill for $131.89. I paid this bill with a check for $131.88 and mailed it to you. Yes, I accidentally wrote the check for one penny less than the amount of the bill. Instead of cashing this check and calling it even since there was only one penny difference, or even cashing the check, applying the amount to the bill owed, and sending me another bill for one penny, someone in your office sent everything back to me. Check, bill, even the envelope I mailed it in with a letter requesting I send a replacement check as soon as possible. You spent 38 cents on your postage meter to ask me for one penny, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, and you expect me to void the original check, rebalance my checkbook, write another check, and spend another 44 cents on a stamp to mail it back to you for one penny. So here's how we're going to handle this. I have enclosed a new check for the amount of the original bill, $131.89, minus the $0.44 cents I had to spend on the second stamp because of this foolishness, or a total of $131.45. You can do one of two things. You can cash this check and call it even before it goes any further, or you can refer this account to a collection agency over $0.44 cents because I guarantee you this is the last payment you're going to ever get from me. I advise you to take this money because we've already spent way too much time on this. Yours sincerely, James Cornette. Do you think I handled that properly? I mean, that's a marvelous letter. That's an incredible letter. I remember you talking about this years ago, and I guess I just always... It's not that I didn't believe you, but I never actually heard any of the letters. Like, oh yeah, I wrote this person a letter and I said, if you ever contact me again, I will never do this. And I was like, oh, I wonder if you really did it. And there, we finally hear it. I believe one time I indicated that nuclear fire showers would be raining down on us all and we would be screaming in pain as our flesh melted before they were ever going to get one more penny out of me. So you have a whole collection of all these letters? I have, I, have, I have numerous ones, yes. I've got to get all that stuff together, too. You just you throw those things here and there, and they pile up after a while. Like a book's worth of these letters? I mean, this is entertaining stuff. Oh, I got all kinds of books worth of shit over here. <laughs> um, the only thing I'm going to do in my real retirement. And uh, But speaking of which, if you'd like to send me some money, you don't even have to put a, a check in an envelope and put a stamp on it anymore. All you've got to do is log on to jimcornette.com and go to Cornette's Collectibles. And that's the easy-peasy pumpkin pie way to send me some money and in return get an incredible array of quality Jim Cornette and or classic wrestling merchandise delivered to your front door or your back door. Wherever you accept deliveries or wherever you like to be entered, front door, back door, hey, it's it's up to you. Hey, we could come in both directions. I could send a feather bottom to the front, and I could go in the back, and we could go in the same. We could literally spit roast you with Cornette's Collectibles right there at your own home. If you'd like to be spit roasted in your own home with fine quality Cornette's Collectibles products, go to jimcornette.com right now. I will warn you, 
that new merchandise is on the horizon. However, for every uh, every beginning, something must end. And as a result, did I just coin that as a phrase? For every beginning, something must end. Someone had or, to have said that before. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end or something like Child that. Child is the father of men. Well, that's very, that's deep. That's a deep subject. Are you a well digger? Anyway, that's what Mama Cornette used to say. While, uh, while they last is where I'm trying to go with this. We are dis after many years of faithful service. We're given a t-shirt, a gold watch and kicking it out in the street. The thank you, fuck you, buy t-shirts. We'll be retiring. As you know, we do this every so often. Uh, burger towels were retired. The face masks were retired. Sometimes DVDs have been retired. We can't keep everything. What is this, a goddamn flea market? I'm low on space, especially with the renovations. Uh, we're playing with some new T-shirt designs. that will be out in the future. We've got some new things we're going to have news on in the next week or two. But as of this notice, the thank you, fuck you, buy shirts. Once what we have in stock is sold, they will not be restocked. They are retiring from the website. So if you've been on the fence about it or on the porch or wherever else you'd like to sit and ponder your fucking fate and you haven't pulled the trigger, so to speak, on the thank you, fuck you, buy t-shirt, do it uh, reasonably soon because it's not like that... Uh, it's not like we're pushing them on you. I'm not trying to twist your arm, but you're going to miss out pretty soon because we're not renewing those. We have other things coming up in the future. So just a word to the wise and a, a bit of warning there. But all the other stuff that's on the website is uh, in, in fine, fine form and selling swiftly. And I understand we got a new sponsor here on the program, Brian Last. Is that what I'm hearing? But And you can actually, you can... I don't know if make money or win money is the right way. You can get extra income and have fun doing it through this new sponsor that uh, is on the program. That's right, Jim. We have a new sponsor is, here on the program. Is that the new sponsor music? It has somehow become the new sponsor music. Yes. <laughs> every every time Cornette gets a new sponsor, an angel gets its wings pulled <laughs> off and dipped in hot boiling oil, I guess. I, so... The folks at Prize Picks are friends of ours now, and we were excited to hear about this. And you were trying to explain it to me on the drive-thru, but we've got more clarification in that Prize Picks is not just any old daily fantasy. It's a cool type of daily fantasy where you you don't play against anyone else. If if you live next door to John Madden, the football expert, or well, he's Yogi dead. Yogi Berra, the baseball expert. Well, he's dead too. Well, if you live next door to them, you must live next door to a cemetery. But even <laughs> if point is, if you're playing against all these experts, it doesn't matter because you don't have to know. This may be the perfect sponsor for our audience. You don't have to know any more than the next guy to win money and and have fun with prize picks because you're you're playing against the projections. And Brian, you explained this to me. You know the other sports and gambling. I'm not a gambler, but this is not gambling. You don't have to go to some seedy location and and 
worry about getting mugged with cash money or go to the racetrack and hang out with Buck Robley or anything like that. You're sitting in your own clean home and you're playing daily fantasy and you're making entries on player projections and you're selecting more or less because the whole deal is you're playing against random chance and fate. Let's say, for example, who's your favorite baseball player on a New York Mets there, Brian? Uh, pitcher or hitter? What's the difference? It doesn't matter who you... Well, who, <laughs> no, it matters. It matters. Play. It really matters. Then you tell me. Well, a hitter hits a the hitter, ball, a pitcher a throws the ball, so okay. if it was a pitcher... No, I don't mean tell me the difference. I mean, you t- uh, the hitter. Who's your favorite hitter? My favorite hitter right now? Oh, geez, that's a tough question. I really like oh, for God Pete Alonso. Nimmo is underrated. Starling Marte has been a star all season. All right, let's say you got Sterling Marlin there. No, Starling Marte. That's Well, you, you say Marte, have you invited to the party? Okay, you got Sterling there. And let's say that he's going to be up at bat tonight. And somebody's going to be pitching the ball. Who's going to be pitching the ball to what? What's going to be pitching the ball? One of the, the Atlanta Braves. They suck. Well, there you go. The point is, one of them pitches the ball to old Sterling. Sterling hits the ball. It's a big, long, deep home run that goes into the stands and hits an elderly lady on the side of the head. She promptly spins around and her teeth fall out of her mouth and land on a, in a kid's face and, and bite its nose off. If you bet that what? that would happen... No, 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 no. Then you're going to win a prize. What? That's not exactly the kind of thing you'd well, bet you'd on. Well, you bet on things that are going to happen. Let's say right. Sterling's going to hit more than Sterling. five home runs or less than five home runs. Well, it would be kind of like... And I think one of the cool things about this and what may make it more relatable than other fantasy sports things is that you're kind of competing against the stats more than against like other players. Yeah. So you would say, like, Starling Marte, will he get five total bases today? You know, up or down? You pick on that, and then the actual statistics of the game are what decide if you win or lose. You're not playing against anyone. You don't have a fantasy roster, and you don't have a big budget that you have to put things together with. It's kind of quick, very easy, and... Yeah, you're just, you're not playing against somebody else. You're playing against what ha- what you think is going to happen versus what actually happens. And unless... I don't know, unless, uh, you know, who was it? Rothstein, Arnold Rothstein, you know, gets involved with the Chicago White Sox again. Chances are this is legitimate. This is legitimate, and Arnold Rothstein has been dead for almost 100 years now, so let's not worry about that. Well, you live next to a cemetery, so you I don't live next to a cemetery. You said that. Well, you know who everybody is that's dead. You must be reading the goddamn tombstones over there, folks. You can. You can pick two to five players with prize picks, and if they go score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. As we mentioned, you're not competing against other people. They may be smart and possibly win. You don't want that. It's just you versus the projections available. And any sport you watch, the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, the NHL, the PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, uh, men's college soccer, women's college lacrosse. I don't know what the, the WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf. I understand those games get quite rowdy. Uh, European basketball, cricket, and so much more. You can do all of it. Let's say, for example, you got a cricket wicket and a football bat. 
and two guys are going to fight with those and they're beating each other over the head, you get to decide whether or not the guy that goes down has 27 lumps less or more on his head. You can make entries in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals. Now, the problem is before you make a withdrawal, you got to put some money in. They won't just let you take it. It doesn't work one way. There's got to be a little intercourse, a little back and forth with these people. But if you download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com and sign up, then first time users can get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code JCE. That means if you deposit $100, Prize Picks gives you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks gives you $50. Now, here's the thing. They're going to check these bills. So don't try to pass off any of that fucking phony, funny money, counterfeit bullshit where Ben Franklin's got a sty in his eye and Ulysses S. Grant has a handlebar mustache but no beard. These need to be legitimate $100 bills and $50 bills that you deposit before they're going to match that money. Well, the, what? You're. I'm not even going to say anything. It's very easy. People know how to deposit money online. I don't know what. Well, just check your money when you pull about. it out of your wallet. Don't try to pass off any of the, don't be a paper hanger, folks. Try to pass off any of this fancy, just because they're going to match what you slap down. If you slap down a $20 bill with Donald Duck's face on it, they're not going to give you $20. You've got to be upfront with them. They'll be upfront with you. But don't forget to enter the promo code JCE at sign up for an instant deposit match. Of up to $100 at prizepicks.com. And that's and then just, just decide on what you think. Project, since you're the player, project what you think is going to happen in any one of these games or contests or scrimmages or confrontations that I've just mentioned, all those various sports. And if you're right, you're going to get money. That's right. If and of course, the listener who gets the most Mets-themed exchanges correct When's a trip to Castle Cornet? No, that would not be true. That's something now that I can say that to you is not true and has never been mentioned, and they don't have enough money to offer that. But if you pick something else and you win, you will get money. And if you lose, just lock your doors at dark. No. Because people are coming to get what <laughs> is owed to them. No, first of all, nothing would be owed That's because you pay, way, well, uh, you pay up front. You're paying in. If you're going to, if here's the thing, Brian, if you're going to get involved with this underbelly of society. No, don't. The fantasy, no. The fantasy sports underground. You're going to have to expect that sometimes some unsavory characters are going to come over and expect to leave with what's theirs. So no, that's the old either days. lock your doors at night and keep an eye out or, or just try to stay on the good side of these people. That's the old days of fantasy sports. Now it's very nice and safe and you don't even have to lock your door. And of course, they won't even know where you live. You just have to do this online on an app or on the website and use the promo code JCE or as he put it on the show the other day, JC. JC, can't you, don't you have to tell them where you live when you're making a wager with them? We don't have to give out too much information about the listeners right now here on the show. We just have to tell them that if you're going to watch the Mets win a doubleheader today against, let's say, the Braves as we are recording, and you can go and make entries on and you can pl play or project all you want. Yes, it sounds like you're projecting right now. Folks, once again, that's prizepicks.com. The promo code is JCE. 
If I were you, I'd stay on the good side of these people, give them correct U.S. currency, not any counterfeit, and win if you can, only lose if you must, but always keep an eye over your shoulder because now you're in the seedy underbelly no. of daily fantasy sports and prize picks is inextricably linked with the rest of your life. Also, keep an eye on the family. Don't let the kids go to school by themselves. You'll be fine. Price picks. Price p- They're currently operational in over 30 states in Canada. And as soon as they can figure out an assumed name, the other 20 states should fall right in line. Prizepicks.com. Well, here's something that I would wager on, Brian. I would wager that people were up in arms about a couple of, uh, at least one comment that Triple H made on the Logan Paul podcast. Apparently Logan Paul has one too. He's copying us again. Everybody is, he's another guy that just has to, has to emulate you and me because we're pioneers in this genre. But Logan Paul has a podcast. He has a very, very, very popular podcast. I'm not sure if he's emulating us. I think he's doing his own thing. Is he anywhere close to our lofty status with his podcast? He's in a very different chart. Well, well, if he keeps up with it, if he keeps up at it and he works hard, he'll get there one of these days. There's no shame in trying. But anyway, apparently Triple H was on it and and had a few comments about Vince and what Vince has done for wrestling and, and some other things. Do you have any of that that we can comment on? I believe that that was something that you were looking for earlier. I do have some audio here, and it appears the second thing, I'll have to read a quote, but here's some audio of Triple H on Logan Paul's podcast, and I should know the name of it, and I don't. I'm trying to see it so I can properly attribute it. The Logan Paul Show? Certainly it's not the Logan Paul experience. I'll get hot. We'll find out what it is, but here's the first quote. I gotta be an entertainer, and you told me that. I said it to you, At WrestleMania. Because I feel like that's the gap that people have, right? Even even our talent that have been doing this a long time. It's not the moves, right? It's it's not the... It's like watching a movie. How, how many movies have you seen with crazy budgets and special effects and CGI that visually you go like, holy shit, that's amazing, right? And no one cares. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The movie bombs, right. there's no story. No one really fully cares, right? Because it's not about the moves, what we do. It's about what you do in between. It's the characters and the story. That's why I was saying to you, like, you, you know what you're doing, right? You've, you've, you've walked through this. You've done it. You're ready to go. You know the moves. You're an athlete. You're, and dude, crazy good athlete that Thanks. has picked this up like that. That's not easy to do. I've only seen it less than a handful of people be able to do what you've done. Thank you. Right? That's amazing. And you should be proud of that. But but the truth is the athleticism, all those other things, I can make a way longer list of terrible athletes that were incredibly over in this business mm. than I can crazy athletes that were the be all end all. Right? People that are fanatics about what we do go like, oh my God, the match was so good. Those guys are so good, right? Now, Everybody else is like, yeah, a, you know. Yeah. Uh, remember the two guys had a good match. I don't remember what. Well, there it is. There's the quote yeah. from Triple H. And people had different takes on this. Some people said, oh, here's Triple H. The one that went around that was popular was someone tweeted out Wrestle Features, tweeted out Triple H speaking straight facts. And then other people said, maybe offended by the end where he said there are, you know, some fans who like the good match, but other fans don't care. Other people were bothered by what he said. What is your take? Well, 
I agree with much of what he said, and I also agree with people who say similar things, but I'm not sure they ever articulate it. They know what they're saying, and I know what they're saying, but I'm not sure that the people who don't know what they're saying know what they're saying. Does that make any sense? Um, If you are in the wrestling business and are smart to the wrestling business, then you kind of understand what he's saying in that that is what's happened to independent wrestling over the last 15 or 20 years. And we've talked about it. The guys that have gotten into the wrestling business weren't recruited by the old time territory promoters or by the biggest billion dollar company in the, in the business today. They got into the business on an independent level because they were the diehard fans of the work rate. That was a, a term that was coined maybe by Uncle Dave. I don't know. It wasn't a wrestling term. But they think that the the moves and the stunts are the, the determining factor in whether a match is good or not. So I agree with Triple H that it's not about the moves. It's about, like MJF says, I'm the guy that makes you feel. So he doesn't have to do that stupid, crazy shit that just, blends in with everybody else and it's all you see now and and most people who liked wrestling are sick of it and the small audience who wants to see constant trampolining moves you know is is kind of stagnant and is what it is and that's the you know the AEW core audience but they've still got a few more that would like to become involved and with the WWE they're unfortunately their problem is they've made the matches so boring and meaningless that even good talent can't hook the people because they've been accustomed to, to trained or educated to that it's all the drama and the horseshit and the soap opery and the entrance and the pageantry and not the actual act itself. And I, I guess what I'm saying is with Triple H, I think he's going to try to improve the the adult level and i'm not talking about as we've said nudity and tit flashing and cussing i'm talking about speaking to adult fans and having the talent speak like adults still have the entertainment but maybe concentrate more on the guys that can perform in the ring because here's the deal if a guy is over as he said crazy over then he will he can also have a good match and it's that much better if a guy goes out and all he wants to do is emulate a tiger mask and dynamite kid from 1981 and do it poorly then the indie wrestling fans might go gaga over all the stunts that were tried but most people wouldn't give a shit because the guys either don't look like stars or athletes or act like or are presented by them or the the venue they're in is so small time. You always need when you're selling tickets, you always need to have a good match, sometimes a great match, especially if you're going to have a rematch. If the first one sucks, people probably won't be clamoring to see the second one. But FTR and the Briscoes, the first match was so good that the second match sold even when they weren't allowed to promote half of the participants on television because of word of mouth and because 
the first one registered and people wanted to see what was going to happen next with those two teams. No two other teams could have had that match and it wouldn't have been as good. So I guess what I'm saying is, no, just wrestling moves with nondescript, bland white guys and fucking, you know, oil change attendance, that's only going to get a subset of the audience. I don't care how many have a Coronas and shooting star presses they do. If you've got guys that are crazy over, that are also kind of the shits in the ring, then a good smart booker tries to book them with a heel or a baby face to oppose them that is good in the ring and is somewhat over so you can tell those stories and still get a match out of it that doesn't stink the joint out. And that's the sweet spot where you have personalities that are over in a personal situation where they're going to have a match that people are interested in and they can perform at a high enough level that they will give the people the match they wanted to see and hopefully convince them they'd like to see a rematch. But all soap opera drama or all great wrestling is not going to work either way. However, and maybe unfortunately, but maybe not, Triple H is right in that if you got to have only one thing, you have to have the story and the personalities rather than the match. But it's best to have all three. You said early on, you, you mentioned the way he articulated it. What are your thoughts on that? Just the way well, he, he says articulates it. it almost like the match is not important. The match is important unless you're just stealing a house. If you're just stealing a house, you don't care whether they like it or not because they'll you know, Giant Gonzalez versus Andre the Giant. If they'd have been around in their respective primes at the same time, somebody would have booked that. Cause Explain to the listener who doesn't know what stealing a house means, what it means. Stealing a house means building up an attraction that you know is going to be abysmal, but for one night, people will pay to see it. And that's so that was the standard with any time you had a gimmick performer or a a football star that wasn't going to stick with wrestling but he was over in that area or just anything where you know my god we can't have a program because this giant or this fat man or this freak or the whatever is just the shits but because of the way he looks or because of the situation we can put him in or the way we can build him up for three or four or five or six weeks or whatever the time period is, we can get one big match out of this with our top guy or another main event guy. And then we need to get rid of this fucking gimmick because he's the shits, but we've stolen a house. We drew a house with completely smoke and mirrors and, you know, uh, the way that this guy looks or the way we were able to talk about him, even though there's no substance there but they won't ever want to see it again, so he's done immediately afterwards. Silo Sam, little John Harris. And that's how you steal a house. And and then you move on to something else with you know people that can go, and you don't do that constantly, or you've killed your territory. But anyway, so the point is, you can, you can steal a house with an individual that people are interested in. 
And you can't steal a house with a great wrestling match because that needs to be built up over time. And that's why I said to Jim Hurd, he loved Sid. And he, I, was, I loved Arn Anderson. I said, you'd rather have Sid on your fucking roster than Arn Anderson, wouldn't you? Well, of course. I said, well, because Sid will draw you a million dollars in one night, right? Of course. I said, but Sid will draw you a million dollars in one night, and once they see it, they probably won't ever want to see it again, but Arn Anderson can draw you steady money for the next five years. He'll only get better. Well. So anyway, I, I don't think Triple H articulated it properly in that he's really just dismissing the idea of having a good match. Now then again, good match is different to different people. Some people think, well, my God, they're, they didn't do any moonsaults and they didn't fight on the floor, so it was rotten. But other people would say, oh, good, they actually have enough talent to do shit right and don't have to do the same shit everybody else does. But you should have a good match if it's a high-profile match that people paid to see whenever possible. Well, I, think, and, I think he was talking about the reaction after the fact more than anything. Well, yes, but but that's that's the thing is a lot of people who don't delve deeper into it or don't understand the, the viewpoint he's coming from will just think he dismissed the quality of the match whatsoever. And that's and, and these people that say, oh, God, Cornette stuck in the past in the 70s where he wanted to see a half an hour headlock and a 45 minute arm bar. Like, that's something that happened because they've been told it did. They weren't around. Well, plus some wrestling was more boring than other wrestling, if we're going to be honest. Well, too. yeah, it, 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 and today as well. They just, they, today there's no slow-paced, boring wrestling. There's just rotten, sloppy, fast wrestling or good quality fast wrestling. It's It's changed in that respect, but there's always been good and bad wrestling. But again, <laughs> You can't honestly expect me to believe just because you were not alive to see this shit and you have believed things that have people have told you about it. You can't expect me to change my opinion of wrestling just because you don't know what you're talking about. And I guarantee, you know, the, the boys have told the stories about Johnny Valentine stinking the joint out, which he would until they quit fucking hooting at him and he was in charge. And then that's why people 50 years later still talk about Johnny Valentine in Greensboro because they could hear him hitting fucking Wahoo McDaniel from the top row of the bleachers in a 16,000-seat building. They'd get exciting eventually. It's psychology and people go about things a different way, but no main event wrestler ever held 30-minute headlocks since the days of Strangler Lewis. And back then, they were betting on, with the marks, on how long the match might go. Why do you think some of those matches went eight hours? People were still pulling money out of their fucking pocket, you imbeciles. They weren't going eight hours because they were having fun. So it just, that's, a lot of people say, well, so-and-so said it, you need to have personality and and personal issues and disregard the quality of the match. That's not what Triple H is saying. It just sounds like it to people who lean that way. And the other people say, you know, the, the match is the most important thing, so that's why we can go ahead and just put Daniel Garcia and Wheeler Useless and everybody else in these matches with recognized national TV stars and 
world champions and they go 20 minutes competitively because it doesn't matter who's in it as long as it's a good match. And that's the stupidest thing that anybody says in wrestling today. So it needs both, and that's the job of a booker, and that's the job of talent, and that's the job of hitting the sweet spot. You find people they're interested in, you give them a personal issue that the fans would want to see the resolution of, and that resolution needs to be as exciting and memorable as the people want it to be, and that's how talent gets over. They don't get over by having a match with no build. They don't get over by fucking having no personality. They don't get over by once they do have a personality and get in the ring and don't have an opponent that can carry them or can do their shit and make them look good. The, all None of that works. You got to have everything. Well, Jim, I have a little more audio to play here, and I haven't heard this yet, but I've seen a lot of people losing their minds about something Triple H said here on social media. Let's play this. This is from the Logan Paul podcast, Impulsive. That is the name. Impulsive. I see what he did there. And here is Triple H and Logan Paul speaking about Vince McMahon's legacy. I've been, I've been kind of getting my feet wet, and I've been in Gorilla and backstage, and every time after my thing, I shake his hand, and he's sitting in the corner there. And last uh, week at MSG, it was you, you know? And so I think there's a, a really interesting opportunity to uh, – to I don't know, do some shit that has not been done before. So I'm gonna be pitching ideas all the time at you, and, and I'm counting on it. Dude. Okay, good. Yeah, good. I'm counting. Let me stop right there. What are your thoughts on Logan Paul pitching ideas to Triple H? <sighs> well, I mean, is that a problem is... or is that a good thing? No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing he has that relationship, and because he's a personality, and he's not just you know Johnny Greenhorn coming in thinking, well, I'll be pitching ideas to the boss on a frequent basis. He's a personality, he's a multimillionaire, and he's got tons of fans, so Triple H is going to listen. Secondly, he's been a prodigy so far with his athleticism. I'm not sure, to be honest, I've never met the guy, so I don't know what his, his creative mind is like as can be applied to the wrestling business, but we shall see. But the point is, I think at least there's the there's the ability he knows that he's he's feeling good about it logan paul he's happy about it because he's fitting in and he's doing a good job and he's able to pitch things at triple h and i'm sur sure triple h will have a nice way to tell him 90 percent of them probably don't make sense but he's new he's green go ahead what do you think is easier becoming a main event wrestler or becoming a celebrity and then being able to become a main event wrestler because you're a fan these days becoming a celebrity is probably easier than becoming a main event wrestler Let's go back to this audio. I'll say this about Vince. M massive shoes that I couldn't even dream of beginning to think I could fill. Mm. Right? Like the, the, the gap there in this moment is massive. But the opportunity to take it in a direction that has never gone before mm. is massive. I'm, I'm thrilled for that opportunity. We have a, an unbelievable team that it's, it's never going to be one person. One person can't even begin to fill his shoes. It's going to take an entire team yeah. of people to jump in those shoes because without him, there's none of this, right? Like the vision to take it from this tiny little thing happening in bars and to this, the, to this, this big to global sensation, like nothing else, yeah. right? Um, 
you know, WrestleMania is one of the most valuable sports franchises yep. on the planet. Yep. Billions of social media followers, the, the 70 plus billion lifetime views on, on YouTube, right? Like the, the, the level of, of fan interaction, following and dedication and passion for what we do. There's nothing like it, and I'll put any sport against that, and I'll put any form of entertainment. Certain movies only resonate. Wasn't he talking about countries. Vince? Certain sports only resonate. Yeah, I thought in he was. Countries. Name one that goes everywhere. Yeah, it's WWE. Well, I guess that's it. Well, but know. Vince is at the root of it, so he loosely was talking about Vince. But here's another thing: everything that he said there, with one glaring exception was true or reasonable or, you know, logical or whatever. But then they got to have, they got to throw in the company line about, well, but Vince got wrestling out of little bars. What little bars like Madison square garden and the Omni in Atlanta and the Olympic auditorium in Los Angeles, Nicobo arena in Detroit, the mid South Coliseum in Memphis and fuck it. Uh, the Keel auditorium in St. Louis. He went to every bar in the country and said, I want to take their bar. It's going to be my bar yeah. now. He ran the same arena as everyone else was running. And that's, that's, I know it's the narrative or the rewriting of history that they're trying as a company to, to, you know, put out there so it takes hold. But it, to me, for people who know better and know that that's not the case, then it, it diminishes and calls into question everything else he says when, other things he's saying is mostly true. So no, Vince McMahon, there is actually more pro wrestling right now in dingy bars than there ever was because in the territory days, <laughs> yeah, nobody really. ran bars. They all ran arenas or if it was spot show, high school gyms, rec centers, whatever, if it's a spot show in a small town, but every territory in existence ran either the major building or the secondary building in all of their regular towns, including Vince's father, who ran Madison Square Garden, the Philadelphia Spectrum, the Boston Garden, the Baltimore Civic Center, and the Pittsburgh Civic Arena, among others, when Vince was in his 20s or, or younger. So, And Shane and Stephanie, I understand when they say stuff like this because... It's what they were brought up with. Maybe they don't know any right. better. Triple H should know better. Triple H knows. And he has studied the business, but he has to. Well, it's, it's, you know, his, it's his company now, pal. So he's got to say those things because that's the story they've been telling all along. And he has to keep up with it. But it, to me, it casts aspersion on the other valid points he makes when he throws that in. And it's obvious horseshit. And most people know it. So you were in Mid-South the first time Vince tried to come down to that territory, right? Yes. You guys weren't running bars. You were running every major arena yeah, in every well, city you were running, right? Yes. And I, I honestly can't remember. I think he came to New Orleans. I, they didn't run the downtown auditorium. I don't know whether they ran UNO Lakefront. Well, he had a problem with the Athletic Commission, didn't he? Because of Watts' relationship with... Yes, and Louisiana was the hardest, the hardest state to get into in the Watts territory. I'm, and I see they may not have run New Orleans now that I'm thinking about it, but they, there, there were two buildings in Oak City. I think they ran Oak City, 
And uh, I think they tried to come to Houston, but it was few and far between. Same thing with Crockett Territory. The initial expansion, what, 84, 85, 86, they'd bring in Hulk Hogan and the whole fucking hee-haw gang. And in the Carolinas or in the Mid-South Territory or in Memphis, they'd die. In Louisville, interestingly enough, they did good even when Jarrett was still doing good at the gardens. But but um, WWF shows that would come to the Commonwealth Convention Center, I mean, they didn't even try Freedom Hall back then. Um, but there weren't they any would cases. Do well. There weren't any cases of promoters saying, "Oh my God, WWF is coming here to my territory. They can use that big building. We're stuck in this bar. We're dead." There was none no. of that. No, maybe Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> It seems like I could never give Kansas City a break, but but no. I think they had delusions of grandeur at that point, Kansas City, because that's when they took over St. Louis, too. Yeah, that's true. But but no, and that's the thing also is is it was a a minor annoyance because even if Vince did come in, they knew he was coming to do the same thing he did everywhere, run a, a show in that market and then not come back for six months or a year, whereas they were there either weekly, every two weeks, or at minimum once a month. So it was an annoyance of a show being run in their territory, but it wasn't like the promotional war in Atlanta where they were each running the town every week and opposite each other, or the war between Bruiser and Sheik in Indy and Detroit, or any other promotional. It wasn't like that. It wasn't active, ongoing, every week. What did more damage, Vince coming to your town or Vince's TV coming to your town? Probably Vince's TV, because the TV was on every week. and. As it got more far-fetched, it did more damage to the... See, that's that's the point that I've tried to make. And with Glow, thankfully that was girl wrestling, or that probably would have killed the mid-80s wrestling boom in a lot of places. Because Glow was obviously fake and phony, and it was a parody, and they were playing it for laughs, and they weren't trying to make anybody believe anything. And if that had been guys wrestling, it would have hurt the Mid-South Territory. It would have hurt the Carolinas. It would have hurt some parts of the uh, most of the South. Because they were the ones with realistic pro wrestling. So I, when I saw Glow, I was like, oh, fuck, this is horrible. And the same thing when the WWF show started getting more cartoony. With the, you know, the Coco had a bird and the Bulldogs had the dog and, and just all the, the Tuesday Night Titans shenanigans, blah, blah, blah. My butthole used to quiver that our fans were able to watch that. And we did hear feedback from the fan. Thankfully, most of the Crockett fans just looked at, well, that's that phony shit from New York. And they still tried to... They were working themselves because they didn't want to be smartened up and they didn't want wrestling to be ruined for them. So they reconciled it in their heads for a while, long as they could, that that's that cartoon wrestling from New York and not the real shit that we've got here in Charlotte. And I heard that from people. People that didn't read newsletters and there was no internet. They just watched the TV shows and went to the matches. And that's how in, like I said, in the Southern territories, especially Mid-South and Crockett, the fans were 
kind of divided and mostly toward the home product and scoffed at the WWF presentation, but it was starting to seep in and people were starting to see what was going on. And even on that phony wrestling from New York, when the shit looked kind of as good in some cases, there with certain guys as it did on Crockett's TV. But we know that shit from New York is fake. The TV, it started smartening people up. And, you know, that was the drawback. So them being able to see the TV every week, that was hard. That was worse than them coming in to, you know, Greensboro once a fucking five years. Actually, they tried in the mid-80s and then they quit. And they never went back to Greensboro or those towns until the Attitude Era when everything was selling out. And <laughs> remember I told you, they ran the pay-per-view in Greensboro in 1998, the WWF did, and the event coordinator checked up in the box office and came back and told me that they actually barely outdrew the gate for Starcade 86, 12 years later, with Attitude Era ticket prices. And he said the only way they were able to do it was there'd been a, a seating expansion since then. And that he also, they still had the records for Starcade 86 in the goddamn box office. And there were like 34 comps put out for that show that not only sold out the Coliseum, but sold out the exhibition hall next door for a closed circuit showing. Same night. And that was only half the card. The other half was in Atlanta. He said, what the fuck were you guys doing down here? He said, 34 comps for almost 20,000 people. I said, well, there was some sisters-in-law and uncles and aunts that needed to get in. You know, to go back to the Triple H quote, Brian Solomon said it best the other day. He said, Vince McMahon wasn't the best thing for the wrestling business. He was the best thing for the Vince McMahon business. Yeah. And... Vince McMahon didn't make wrestling more popular. He made it less popular. He made his wrestling more popular. Yeah. That's basically what happened, and I'm kind of confused as to why people are confused about that. That's, that's why we've been saying this for the past 20 years. Vince is great for Vince's business. He killed everybody else's business. You can't do something seriously and expect people to buy it when all they're seeing is a parody. You know, and 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 so Vince appealed to that entertainment crowd, ran off all the wrestling fans. Now, Tony's trying to appeal to the wrestling fans that got run off, but all he's doing is appealing to the fans of gymnastics and, you know, immature douchebags. And so th those people are still out there somewhere, never to return. And by the way, at Starcade 86, I'll guarantee you, just out of the some nearly 20,000 people in Greensboro, a bunch of them were probably from out of town because people in the Carolinas would drive to Greensboro for the big shows, but nobody got on a fucking airplane to fly there. They went to a closed circuit showing closer to their home. So these were local people filling these buildings up, local and regional. It wasn't a Let's book a NBA building in three months and everybody in the country will fly there and buy a ticket. It was, no, we got to draw these people from fucking Cabarrus County. 
Good luck with that anymore. Is that all of the uh, Triple H and Logan Paul that is, commentary? That is all the Triple H and Logan Paul commentary from Impulsive. From Impulsive. Indeed. That should yes. that that should well I was I, I hit the wrong button. That was uh <laughs> that should have been Paul Bear's podcast, impulsive. All right, I've got something I gotta read you. You haven't heard this yet. I mentioned earlier I was looking through the files, looking for something, and I got a stack of old Finkel reports and WWF oriented stuff from the late nineties. Including, by the way, I finally found a copy of Sable's Playboy contract. I might have to look through there and jot down what they paid her. I wonder, after 25 years, is there a statue of limitations on revealing proprietary information? We may have to check on that. Yeah, when you got this information, Vince McMahon owned the company. And that well, went see, public. now all bets are off. But remember Shotgun Saturday Night, the television program that was Vince's idea. We've talked about Vince's ideas. He gets in his head. He, in 19, late 1996, decided we're going to do a live one-hour program where anything can happen, kind of like they used to, they used to compare it to or say we want to do something like Memphis TV. This show was... Totally unlike any Memphis television I ever saw. But they wanted it to be live. Anything can happen. Shoot it guerrilla style, low budget, whatever. That's where the story came from of Vince and, and me and Minnie Vader from Mexico and the camera crew going into the Port Authority to do guerrilla filming at the urinal, blah, blah, blah. Shotgun Saturday night. I couldn't believe there was going to be wrestling on Channel 55 on Long Island. <laughs> that was what blew my well, mind. That was the, thing. the original idea, because Vince's course, you know, uh, wrapped up in New York City and and everything. And so the original idea for Shotgun Saturday Night was it was going to emanate live at midnight every Saturday from some nightclub or trendy place in New York City with wild wrestling action and excitement and shenanigans. And. That was Vince's personal vision, and that's where he started personally producing the vignettes himself. Remember, poor, poor Glenn and Chaz, the headbangers, Thrasher and Mosh, their first debut on WWF television. They were wearing nuns' habits. They were called the Flying Nuns. And what's that cathedral in New York that we went to, and Vince shot them coming down the steps with their their nun ears <laughs> flapping in the breeze. I don't know what the was fuck. Was it St. Patrick's? That's it. Wow. It was some Irish Catholic landmark there. And here come the flying nuns, these two tattooed fucking guys from New Jersey and nuns habits. I was in, I wouldn't get out of the limousine for that one. I was sure somebody was going to be arrested. But anyway, that was shotgun Saturday night. That was the concept. It lasted. What was it? eight, ten weeks, and then everybody was sick and fucking fed up of of going to a noon production meeting in a nightclub in New York City that for a, a live midnight show, and it was a fucking fiasco, and it was a pain in everybody's ass, and they were having to pull talent off the road and fly them to New York to do this TV and miss a Saturday night house show somewhere where they were going to get a heck of a payoff 
Nobody liked this thing except Vince, and when he got tired of it, then it became just another syndicated show, right? And they were just doing syndicated matches. And you might hear the rhythm of the falling rain on my roof now, as it was sunny and 90 a second ago, and now it's pouring rain. But anyway, so, and then there was the one memorable one where we were in San Antonio, Texas, the night before the Royal Rumble 97. That was the best one. That was the best episode. I was out in a goddamn state park with Blackjack Lanza, Bradshaw, and Barry Windham shooting the goddamn new Blackjacks vignettes and didn't get to see Terry Funk go crazy on Shotgun Saturday Night Live, or Saturday Night, Shotgun Saturday Night. But anyway, while I'm giving this preamble, and everybody's got their own Shotgun Saturday Night story, one of those nights, I think it was at the, uh, what was that, was it Mirage Nightclub? That's in Vegas. The, uh, oh, the goddamn, the M-M Nightclub. M, it starts with an M. I think it's even in these notes, um, I don't know. But the, in one of these nightclubs we were in, it was actually where I got chased out by the midgets in my underwear. That's where Jake was nine hours late for the production meeting. He overslept. Remember I told you that story? We're supposed to be there at noon. And I'm all riding Vince's limo because at least it's not going to fucking... I can be dropped off at the door, right, instead of finding my own parking. So me and Vince and Bruce, we all go down. We're there at noon. Jake's supposed to be there, not there. One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock. Jake shows up quarter to nine. His story was while he was waiting for a cab in his hotel in Stamford, he fell asleep for eight fucking hours from noon to 8 p.m. on Saturday, apparently. So he was off the creative team shortly thereafter. But anyway, what I found here... Now, you'll recall at the end of 1996, when this this shotgun Saturday night television show idea first came up, me and Bruce Pritchard were the official creative team underneath Vince McMahon. And I do mean underneath him, under his thumb. And, but then also Jim Ross was involved as head of talent relations and would come and sit in on some of the creative meetings. He obviously was booking the live events at the house shows, the cards, the matchups. So he would have ideas, suggestions that he would throw in from time to time. He would submit things on paper. He'd come in for the meetings at Vince's every once in a while. And there's also Pat Patterson, who I've got to be honest, I've not seen yet the first thing that Pat Patterson ever wrote down on paper and submitted to Vince McMahon at his house at a writing meeting. I'm sure he jotted shit down for the Royal Rumble. Maybe not. Maybe he just memorized it all. But Pat was the guy that you would talk to and you would go to for advice or inspiration or in your experience, has this ever come up? What would you do? Put a match together, come up with a finish. You talk to Pat. Pat wasn't a fucking paperwork fanatic, right? That was me and Bruce. But he had the right to pitch in some ideas. And right about this time, that's why I mentioned this, Shane McMahon would come up with an idea or two, although again, it was usually in a form of an email back in those days. He didn't come to a lot of the, any of the meetings at Vince's house, but he'd be in production meetings and or sometimes meetings at the office, and he would chime in with an idea or two. And the only other person that I can think of besides the folks at Creative Services that had their own style and their own you know, when they, when they were asked, they would come up with ideas such as Chili McFreeze and 
etc. Ice dagger. But the only other person pitching ideas in at this particular time period, right about this time, was everybody's favorite WWF magazine editor, right? We know him as Shitstain. So I've got a document here, Brian, and it's not signed. Nobody took credit for this, and it's been 25 years, but I saved it for a reason. And the reason I think I saved it, as I remember, was because it doesn't sound like anything that I would write, and it doesn't sound like anything Bruce Pritchard would write, and Vince never did stuff like this. And Jim Ross, I've seen his stuff a million times, and as I mentioned, Pat didn't write down a bunch of stuff. So, unless this was Shane, and he just went completely off the rails and did something that I've never seen him do before, and typed three pages of shit to send over to Vince's, I know who the author of this is. And this was the first inkling that I got that it would not be a good idea for me and him to be in the same room for any extended period of time talking about the wrestling business. This was before Vince actually cracked up after a bad rating on a show that everybody told him was going to suck and lost his mind and hired the guy to be on the creative team, but he was trying to get his two cents in. Remember it's been said that Vince loves ideas? Just give him ideas. Well, this is the kind of ideas he was getting from this guy. Would you like me to read this? Yeah. Shotgun Saturday Night Ideas from you-know-who. The Shotgun Tough Guy Match. There is one shotgun tough guy who holds the shotgun tough guy title, and he takes on new challengers every once in a while, but only on Shotgun Saturday Night. On other shows, he can be referred to as the Shotgun Tough Man, but the title can only be challenged for on Shotgun Saturday Night. All the matches are gimmick matches, i.e. barroom stool in each man's corner or tables or whatever. I think a guy like Crush would make a great shotgun tough man. It's a way to get him over without giving him one of the real titles. <laughs> Instead of title belt, He's got a badge. The shotgun tough guy gets the shotgun tough guy badge, Brian. A badge? I thought the TV title medal was a unique spin on things, but the tough guy badge. Is the badge. <laughs> Next idea, the wild card extra match. A match between two WWF superstars, but the twist is every five minutes, a new extra. And see, that's what marks who weren't actually in the business, called the job guys. A new extra is sent into the ring, and he can do whatever he wants or attack whoever he wants. So the two superstars, the two superstars try to pin the other guy to win so they would both have an interest in getting rid of the extra so then they could get the other guy pinned. So you've got Steve Austin against The Rock, and suddenly, every five minutes, in comes Mario Mancini or fucking Dwayne Gill. It would be scintillating television, right? It's kind of like the Royal Rumble, except I wouldn't pay money to see it. <laughs> <laughs> How about this one? Since we will know when the show is off the air and it's live, 
Why not let the last match be a time limit match with a clock in the arena and the crowd could count down the waning seconds of the match and the show. The match starts with a shotgun blast and ends with one. Huh. Also, <laughs> that's a, well, well, that one's bizarre. So every single, you would have almost a time limit draw every single week? Yes. Yeah. But it'd be a big deal if the fans could count down the time of the show. So I guess it, it's not almost. It would be a countdown draw every single week, no matter yeah, what. Yeah. Okay. Here's a, another match stipulation. Two minutes with Jake the Snake. If you can't beat Jake in two minutes, you have to leave the WWF. What? Because Jake only had two minutes left in the tank? At this time was when Jake had just or was about to be appointed to the creative team and his matches were bleh. And somebody probably wanted to be on the creative team instead of Jake. <laughs> so how about this? This two minutes with Jake. If you can't beat Jake, the snake in two minutes, you have to leave the WWF or if not, if not Jake, maybe a Barry Horowitz type of guy, but he can't get beat up every week. <laughs> Wait, now it makes no sense or, at all. Or instead of wrestling, Jake, the snake, Jake could be like a roving reporter and always has his snake around his neck. It would be pretty cool to see a guy hanging out in a bar or whatever with a snake. Yeah, this is definitely Russo. There's no doubt How about right now. <laughs> Here's another stipulation. I'm not making any accusations otherwise and I've narrowed it down. You call the spot match. When a wrestler is on top, he has to perform whatever maneuver, and maneuver is misspelled, whatever M-A-N-U-V-E-R, the crowd chants for. So let's say I got a headlock on you and the people are going, shooting star, shoot it. I got to pick you up and slam you and go do a shooting star press. We said when a wrestler is on top, does he mean the top rope? No, he on top, I mean winning in, in control of the match. Right? The other guy's on, he's on offense. The other guy's on defense. He's on top. How about the bouncer match where you have a match between, now this is a little Shane-ish. A match between New York's toughest bouncers. The winner has to physically throw the other guy out of the building. And then there's quotes. Like, here's the sample announcement. Ring announcer. Quote, representing the limelight, this guy. Versus from the China Club, that guy. <laughs> Managed by Paul Heyman. Managed by Paul Heyman. <laughs> also, here's very important. Bring back the ring girls, but make them shot girls. They hold the promotional billboards instead of flying them in. In the production truck. Well, that's kind of what they did on the original Monday Night Raw. They would have women hold up cards that said, you're watching Raw, or I like yeah, it Raw, that's, whatever. that's where you got the idea. Guest commentators who are not wrestling people. Rock stars, ball players, New York City celebrities, etc. Or, as it turned out, remember who was a color commentator during the dying days of WWF New York? No, who? <laughs> oh, shit, stayed himself. I didn't remember that, no. He was, it, WWF New York was a, it was the syndicated TV, but it was revoiced specifically for New York. And it was on, what, Channel 11, WPIX, late night Saturdays? And for the last couple months that they did it, he wangled his way to doing commentary because it was New York, bro. And one night, my 
ex-wife and I were on vacation somewhere. It was in the perimeter of the New York metropolitan area. WPX was on cable and she started with the show was on. We turned the TV on and she said, can you understand a word he's fucking saying? Nobody could. He was talking to his people and I don't think even they could understand him. But, but yeah, WWF New York. Anyway, back to this ideas for shotgun Saturday night. Guess Yokozuna's weight. All right, low-hanging fruit. Okay, but (laughs) he couldn't stop there. By the way, this was after Survivor Series 96. Yoko couldn't get licensed in New York, and they were about to send him to Duke and and, or release him. So, But guess Yokozuna's weight, and the closest fan wins a free sushi dinner. Oh, my God. Or Yokozuna against the same weight. Put Yoko on a scale and on the other side, put job guys on, extras as he calls them, until they equal his weight and then you have the match. You know, that one I don't necessarily hate. If there was a way to do it so it wasn't cheesy or anything, that's kind of, that's all And see, that is Vince McMahon's reaction. Whereas all the rest of us were like, can somebody please put a fucking hollow point, dumb, dumb bullet in this motherfucker's cranium? Vince was like, yeah, pal, give me 500 more ideas. And then he'd take one and he'd revamp it. And that's the way you do it. And that's the use he got out of this. Was this, was this like a regular thing? The idea you would get, Vince would get a sheet with just tons of ideas. No, no, this was not. This was, again, there was a small group of people that were either encouraged or allowed to send stuff like this, that he would give to us in the writing meetings unsolicited if he asked creative services for names or whatever you'd get that but only a few people (laughs) this is the shit from the guy he ended up liking flashlight match everyone in the bar has flashlights and that's the only (laughs) lighting that's the only lighting for the match everybody in the bar because he's all this guy also besides the fact he'd never done wrestling he'd never done television that's another thing he'd never done Wrestling, television, and a fucking female human. Things he'd never done. We did on cameras when he was doing the shot, the uh, WWF New York voiceovers. Yeah, if you were on syndicated, you'd go down during one of the matches before they started taping Raw, and they would tape the match that was going on syndication and shoot you at the fucking desk to prove you were there, and then you'd voice the rest of it in post in, in the studio, right? We do the on-camera of my show and then for his show, and then we're walking back before they started Raw. He said, that was cool. I said, what's that? He said, being inside the barricade. What? I've never been inside the barricade while a match was going on. This was a motherfucker that was just appointed to the writing team and is doing color commentary. Next, a segment that's a takeoff on Weekend Update. Have someone like the King report on actual news from that day and week and report it with a WWF twist. Like what he did with Tiny Tim, but it should be all bizarre news stories. All security should wear black hats with shotgun badges, all black shirts, pants, and shoes. On the... Uh, wait, hold on. This is This is exactly what's written here. All security should wear black hats with shotgun badge, all black shirts, pants, and shoes, period, on the front, 
so they kind of look like police SWAT team, period. No agents ever run into the ring, just these shotgun security guys. Is it wrong that I want someone to fund his vision? I want to see a show with all of this. Somebody did. It was called The Howard Stern Show. It was called TNA. Well, that's true. Um, The Who's Hipper match. You do a hidden camera on two different superstars trying to talk their way into an exclusive nightclub. Who's hipper? Because right. they're not they're not celebrities that would be instantly ushered into the VIP room. They're these WWF asshole fucking phony wrestlers that need to try to bullshit their way into a goddamn nightclub. How about this one? A match between the wives of Stone Cold and Pillman with Stone Cold and Pillman in their corners. Sign me up. I want to watch that. That would have been Jeannie Clark at the time. Yeah, it would have. And Melanie Pillman. And this was a, this was something that he handed to Vince McMahon well, on purpose. Let me stop you right there as you're talking about this. This would have been 96. because I'm just trying to think where Steve Austin would have been at his point in his career where all of a sudden his wife, who was never on WWF television, would have been recommended for an angle or a match. Well, that didn't matter. He just knew that she existed. And Austin, the, well, at, at King of the Ring 96 was Austin 316, and that's when Jake was making his comeback. Well, six months later, because Shotgun debuted January of 97, so these ideas were somewhere around December-ish of 96. Yeah, so this is after Brett versus Austin at the Survivor Series, so Austin was already the hottest or one of the hottest things in the company, and yes, this was the idea of how to use him. Yes. Here, the next idea, I don't know why Vince McMahon didn't jump all over this, Brian. Remember, this is December 1996, this idea. A beautiful, buxom female referee. Too close to home. Apparently, old Shitstain wasn't studying his history along with grammar, spelling, and everything else in school. Uh, but if that yeah, doesn't Vince work for you, how about a hot paralegal? Yeah. <laughs> Shotgun Saturday Night Mascot. Shotgun the Bear. Everyone abuses him and throws stuff at him, or maybe a heel mascot. Here's some segment ideas. Brian, would you like to hear? These are recurring segments on a show called Shotgun Saturday Night that would be good, right? So not matches, not promos, but recurring features. Well, recurring segments, or as some are matches, some are promos, but it's a recurring thing with a recurring theme. The strip tease match. Two superstars. <laughs> two superstars have their wife or girlfriend in their corner. And each time one takes a fall, the other's girlfriend has to take something off. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, how many it's guys on paper in front that? of me. How many guys would have gone for that? Well, I guess you would have had to have kayfabe girlfriends. Actually, well, uh, uh, depending on the, the person, a number of, of guys might have gone for it if there was fucking money involved because they had a variety of experienced girlfriends in, in that particular endeavor. But this is the fucking stupidest shit you've ever heard of. Shotgun star search. People come on doing imitations of our wrestlers. King night. Everyone dressed as a king gets an audience with the king, Jerry Lawler. 
fan of the week. Get a sponsorship. Wackiest fan in the bar in the bar gets interviewed by Todd Todd Budweiser. Wait a minute. Hold on. That's not what it says. That's exactly what it says, but there's no punctuation and there's no commas. And fan of the week, get a sponsorship. Wackiest fan in bar gets interviewed by Todd, which would be Pettingill. Budweiser brings you this week's fan of the week. He actually misspelled Budweiser. Remember that old thing, I before E except after C? Yeah, of course. Hot sunny nights. Sonny's talk show with a guest, but eventually always comes back to her putting herself over. The world according to Backland, Mr. Backland's view on the latest stories on the news. JR's Southern Comfort, the Heels Only interview segment. And finally, an obstacle course set up through <laughs> the bar. <laughs> I wondered if there would be a big finish, and there it is. <laughs> Does it have any details about how the obstacle course would work? No, or? no, that's left up to your own devices, ladies and gentlemen. Who goes an obstacle course for the fans or the wrestlers? It's not really fully delineated there. Like many of his ideas, they were not fully <laughs> fleshed out ahead of time before they emerged like diarrhea from his pig lips. That's the kind of shit that we had to put up with. That is the not only the grammar and the punctuation, but the quality of the ideas and the fucking nonsense and the silliness. And it was like talking to a fucking misbehaving child. But Vince loved ideas, 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 because he would take one of those in names. That's the way all of the ideas that I ever saw dipshit have got started. And Vince McMahon would take one of them and translate it into English and put it in its proper order and then say, okay, do this. Which was even dangerous, more dangerous, because then you let Vince McMahon interpret the fever dreams of a fucking maniac. But there you have it. Shotgun Saturday night. Is it harder for someone like you or in the position you would have been in to shoot down... I mean, it's one thing to shoot down one bad idea, but when you have like a whole sheet of nothing but bad ideas coming at you, is it harder yes. to yes. put up with when it, the because barrage? Because I didn't have I didn't have any patience. Bruce was friendlier with him from the start, and Bruce didn't mind the entertainment wrestling because he'd been there for years at that point to begin with. And Bruce also has more patience than I do, and if he's instructed to coexist with some fucking asswipe. Because it's business, and this is where we work, and we are told to do that, he'll do it. Whereas my thought was, why the fuck are we wasting our time with this fucking knucklehead who's a goddamn embarrassment to the business, and I don't want to listen to this shit because the stuff that we're all doing is rotten enough in the WWF without goddamn making it worse with this guy. And I don't want to be around him, and I don't have any patience. and. If he comes up with a bad idea, I'll say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, and you're an idiot. And therein was the two ways to handle those things. Mine didn't take as long as Bruce's did. So you have more of these kind of sheets? I've, 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 I've got to go through some more stacks of papers. You never know. We may be able to pull up anything here out of my 
out of my archives. I was a pack rat for things that were just blatantly ridiculous. To one, I thought one day I will show people these things as to why that they almost drove me out of my mind, and I did end up screaming at a lot of people. I've just put them in the files and never thought to bring them out till now, but now I'm finally fulfilling my fucking original intention. Slowly but surely. All right. You know, the one thing that I needed, though, Brian, after I would come back from a day at Vince's that would start, I'd leave my house at 7 o'clock. It was two hours to drive to his house because it's only 40 miles, but it was Connecticut. And then I'd sit there from 9 o'clock in the morning till at least 6 o'clock at night, sometimes 7, 7.30. It was dark in the fucking wintertime by the time you left that fucking place. And then I would go home and I would call the food delivery service that I mentioned the other day that we found near where my house was. And I would have three full-size dinners delivered, plus one for my wife. And then I'd eat the other three. And then I'd try to get a good night's sleep to forget that I was being closed up inside a room on a regular basis with a complete imbecile. And the only way that I was able to not go to the office the next day, find that aforementioned imbecile and gouge his eyeballs out of his head was by getting a good night's sleep. And unfortunately, it wasn't as easy back then, Brian, as it is today, because back then in 1997 era Connecticut, there was no Helix sleep mattress to lay on. They didn't exist back then, back in the dark days, back in the before times. They didn't have Helix sleep mattresses. You had to lay down on whatever was available that fits your fancy at the moment. Whether it be a hefty bag filled with bubble wrap, whether it be a sheet wrapped around, I don't know, body parts from the local morgue. What? No one slept on that. Well, it, it, and, and no, nobody could sleep on those things. They're lumpy and hard. You can't get a wink of a night's sleep on a sheet wrapped around body parts built from the local morgue. You can't do it. And a lot of people back in those days, they chose instead to just go without sleep because sleep was such an uncomfortable thing to try to get. Well, you, you're not old enough to remember back in the, the long, long ago back before the Helix sleep mattresses, but a lot of people instead just chose to, to stand up overnight. They'd just, they'd take their clothes off, Brian, but they'd walk into their bedroom and instead of laying down on that, I don't know, that sack of stuff that had been found floating in the East River that they put on, on their bed frame because they didn't have a Helix sleep mattress, they'd just choose to lean up in the corner and sleep standing up against the wall. Where did you hear about this? Well, it's it's what we all used to do back then in the before times, before Helix sleep mattresses, because there was nothing else to lay on. You had to make your own shit or just make do. But now, folks, that's a thing of the past, because Helix sleep is here for your sleep at Helix. That's H-E-L-I-X dot com, or I'm sorry, HelixSleep.com. You know how to spell sleep, don't you? You ought to. There's only five letters in it. HelixSleep.com, they've got the greatest selection of mattresses you have ever seen before. You'll find no body parts from morgues in these mattresses. You'll find no hypodermic needles and, you know, envelopes of cocaine from the East River. You'll find no moon rocks and various pieces of uranium. Like, you know, out west, out in the desert, 
yeah. a lot of the the prospectors they would go out and they would sleep on on rocks and sometimes they'd sleep on uranium and they would get radioactive and then they would go glow green overnight none of the helix sleep mattresses are radioactive they check every single one of them before they leave the plant the ones that have any level of radioactivity no. whatsoever no. They're instantly burned. There are no mattresses. I don't even know why you created an issue and decided to go further down the road with this issue. There are no radiation issues that any no. of the listeners or any That's of the customers right. of Helix Sleep have to worry about. Fine mattresses, comfortable mattresses. You've talked about the things they don't put in their yes. mattresses. Let's talk about what they do put in. Comfort. Well, let's let's talk about or put on. They, they You put anybody on one of these mattresses, they'll be comfortable. But no, there's no problem with radioactivity. Like I said, they check everything before it leaves the plant. But the Helix Sleep mattresses, they have customized mattresses. If you like to sleep on a firm mattress or a soft mattress or something in the middle, they've got cool down technology. If you sleep hot and you wake up in a it, like a, a pool of sweat that's more like a puddle of piss around your neck and around your crotch and you're just laying in this warm tepid water that tastes slightly salty and you're wondering did i did i alleviate myself in the bed while i was sleeping because i was having a dream about taking a big piss what could have or is this just sweat just disgusting sweat that i'm laying in that's salty and filled with with stench that's because you've got a mattress that you sweat on you get one of these cool down mattresses, well, you'll be as dry as a nun's twat. So they've got mattresses for whatever your individual sleep preferences are over at helixsleep.com. And if you use the code slash JCE, that's helixsleep.com slash JCE, you'll get up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners only. That's helixsleep.com slash JCE. They've got over 12,000 five-star reviews, over 1 billion hours slept on Helix mattresses, and not one single solitary second of those billion hours was spent sleeping in a pile of sweat or in a puddle of piss, and none of those mattresses were radioactive. You can take that to the bank. So... Right now, go to helixsleep.com slash JCE. Take advantage of the 10-year warranty. What's the half-life on uranium? Because actually, it would take longer than 10 years to find out if any of these None of the mattresses were... have radiation. Stop it. These are safe mattresses. But it takes mattresses. thousands of years to, to fully eradicate itself. So after 10 years, you're not going to know about it. But, but they check before they leave the plant, as I've mentioned. So they got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. And after 100 nights, you just... You'll be safe after 100 nights. After 100 nights, you continue sleeping good. Yes, just measure yourself. If you've grown more than six or eight inches in that 100 nights, chances are they didn't do the uranium check on that particular mattress. That's what started the amazing Colossal Man's issues. As you'll recall, he slept on that radioactive mattress when he was out on the boat. And then he began growing at a rate of about a foot a day. And then by a hundred nights, a foot, a, you'll be a hundred feet tall, 106 feet tall. So after the first hundred nights, if you're 106 feet tall, call them, get them to come pick that son of a bitch back up. Give you a new one. They got a 10 year warranty and the risk free hundred night tryout. They'll pick it up for you. 
especially if you're 106 feet tall, they're going to do anything you ask. And they've got financing options and flexible payment plans. If you're 106 feet tall, you're going to need to be flexible just to bend over and pay these people their money. So it all works together. It all fits in. A great night's sleep is never far away at helixsleep.com slash JCE. For the long and the short of it, if you're 106 feet tall or you just don't want to sleep in a puddle of piss, get a Helix. All right, well, I understand that uh, there's been some, not shakeups, but there's been some promotions in AEW. Apparently, a press release went out. Um, Tony realizes he needs some help. There's been complaints about the talent relations departments, such as they're not relating with the talent. And so he's put some people in charge to, to alleviate this problem. Brian, is that what I'm hearing? That is what you're hearing, what we're hearing, what the world has heard, because like you said, AEW put out a press release making these statements. And I don't know if the whole world hears it every time AEW puts out a press release. That's why I thought we'd give them some bigger coverage on our show. Well, the wrestling world may have heard some of this, but let me go to the press release here, Jim. August 3rd, 2022, AEW CEO, GM, and head of creative, Tony Khan, announced an expansion to AEW's talent relations team with the promotions of key staff members, including Sanjay Dutt, QT Marshall, or Marshall, as he used to be. That's Marshall to you. Pat Buck, and Tony Schiavone. In addition, Madison Rain will join AEW as a coach in the women's division. As AEW continues its meteoric rise, (laughs) the expanded talent relations team will strengthen the infrastructure required to facilitate the development, health, and safety of AEW's outstanding roster. Wait a minute, health and safety? What are they going to do? Not let them in the ring? It's the only way you could safeguard most of these fucking nitwits' health and safety. Maybe not let them drive in some cases. The following promotions and additions are effective immediately. Sanjay Dutt, a.k.a. Ratish Balia, or Bala, I guess would be. I have known Sanjay Dutt on and off for almost 20 years. I never knew what that wasn't his real name. <laughs> well, he has been promoted to Vice President of Production and Creative Coordination. In this role, he will coordinate communication of AEW storylines, liaise between post-production and key staff to maintain content workflow, produce ancillary content, and mentor new producers. Dutt joined AEW in 2021, bringing more than 20 years of experience in professional wrestling, both in-ring and as a producer, and continues to serve on-screen as manager to Satnam Singh and Jay Lethal. And what is he going to do again? Somebody used a lot of good words there. He will be the vice president of production and creative coordination. And that is... Again, he's going to coordinate the creative from what to what to where? Uh, Well, it says he will coordinate communication of AEW storylines, liaise between post-production and key staff to maintain content workflow, and he will produce ancillary content and mentor new producers. Oh, boy. So he's going to be coordinating creative plans. It didn't say he's going to be coming up with any. So it sounds like it's going to be somebody else carrying out the wishes of Unka Tony, the boss, right? I don't think he deserves a Unka designation right now. That's a... A cousin Tony. Bit of a slight, but let's go cousin to... Cousin Tony. Cousin Tony, because he's not old enough to be an Unka yet. Let's go to the next one. QT Marshall, 
a.k.a. Michael Kolari, has been promoted to Vice President of Show and Creative Coordination. He will help to manage show elements, including planning programs and storylines, character development, overseeing extras, and live event logistics coordination. Marshall, an AEW original with more than 20 years of experience, will continue to wrestle as the leader of the factory. 20 years? Wait a minute. We... Okay, it was. I guess it was 12 years ago we found QT, uh, Delirious, and I in Florida and asked him to come up. And I didn't know he'd been wrestling for 10 years before that almost. Go ahead. Well, you'll be happy to know he will continue to wrestle as the leader of the factory with Anthony Agogo, <laughs> Nick Camarado, Aaron Solo, and Cole Carter. Did he join the factory too? I guess Wait so. a minute. Now that doesn't make any sense. Solo, Camarado, Agogo, Carter blown his gimmick so we got sanjay and ken let me say this sanjay i've known as i said for almost 20 years he's had a lot of experience he was a good wrestler and jeff jarrett used him quite extensively uh in uh in an office position global force and or tna slash tna that for that stint there he's done work with impact he's been involved in a number of offices i'm not knocking sanjay QT, I, I like QT. I haven't seen him in 10 years, but he outed himself as being the guy that was really pleased and just pleased his punch that he was able to be allowed to time the show for Tony Khan back a number of months ago. Uh, who else is on this promotion roster? Well, here's another one, and I think this is actually a pretty, probably a pretty good move here. Pat Buck, aka Pat Buckridge has been promoted the Vice President of Talent Development. In this position, he will liaise with talent and production, oversee all coaches, provide input on matches and promos, and lead the talent relations team. Buck brings nearly two decades of experience serving wrestling promotions as a talent, trainer, producer, and promoter. And of course, Pat Buck... I believe is one of the partners in Creative Pro, which is a school that launched MJF, Max Caster, right. Chris Statlander, and various others. And actually, Pat Buck was a, a trainee at OVW back shortly after I left. I think 2006-ish, 7-ish, 8-ish, whatever. And at that point, I had a conversation with him at, gosh, how long ago? Years ago, but somewhere I saw him. And he took what he saw and learned in OVW and opened Creative Pro patterned after the OVW program, the building, the philosophy, etc. And so it, it seems like he's serious about what he's doing. And he's WWE producer too, right? I was about to say he was producer for the WWE for what, the past several years until the pandemic or whatever. Now he's there. This this can only be a positive. The question is are any of the people that need the trainees in, in AEW, the young guys, the, the people doing jobs on Dark and YouTube and whatever, yes, they need training, but the ones that really need to listen to an experienced guy like Pat Buck are the, the top guys, the full-time roster guys, the guys that are on TV every week. And the question becomes, will they listen to Pat Buck when they think they're already doing good because they're on television, they've been rewarded for subpar performance with being put on in spots on television. So are they going to 
actually learn anything at that point, or are they going to think that they're already just swell? So we'll see about that. Yeah, and again, it depends on the talent. Are the young bucks going to listen to Pat Buck? No. Is a new talent who just got signed to AEW going to listen to him? Probably. Yeah, but the problem is the top talent needs to be the one listening because they're the ones stinking the fucking show up. The poor job guys are just doing what they're told. Well, some of those people are a lost cause, but here's another name on this list. Tony Schiavone has been promoted to senior producer and special advisor to talent. In this capacity, he will work directly with talent as part of the talent relations team. Shivani is one of AEW's most tenured members and has nearly 40 years of experience with an iconic voice that has guided fans through professional wrestling's most incredible moments. Actually, being fair, he has 20 years of experience with a 20-year gap in the middle. Just to be fair. Because he was not affiliated with wrestling in any way from 2001 till 2018. So, or was it 17? Well, give or take. Anybody else? Special advisor to talent. I've never heard of that position before. Uh, Well, because he's going to specially advise them on the things that he advises on, especially for them. All this says nothing. It says nothing. But we have a couple more names here. Madison Rain, a.k.a. Ashley Nicole Lomberger, will join AEW as a coach in the women's division and kick off her new role tonight in her hometown of Columbus, Ohio. Madison has competed in numerous professional wrestling promotions where she has held multiple championship titles, including five-time women's world champion. She has more than 15 years of experience in professional wrestling and is also a proud mom to a daughter. Okay, that didn't mention that anyone else's like kids. A screen door on a submarine. Yeah, what the that Shivani well, has like thirty she, kids. She's able to procreate. That means she's a good tr- wrestling trainer. I don't. Um, I'm not knocking Madison Rain. Uh, worked with her in TNA years ago. She's better than a lot of the girls on the program. We can't say she's not. Is she Mildred Burke? We can't say she is. I. I don't know, you know, a coach. What do you see the coach's role as being? Well, here's the thing. I'm not saying you have to be a superstar wrestler, level of a Stone Cold Steve Austin, to be able to be a trainer or a coach. Because a lot of times, even in other professional sports, the the best coach was not necessarily the best player. And and I've I've said this before, uh, uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard is a better wrestling trainer than Ric Flair or Roddy Piper ever would have been. Because it's a different skill set. And so just because someone's been a great wrestler doesn't mean or not mean they're going to be a great trainer or teacher. But, I, I, I mean, you know, she's better than some, and I wouldn't say that I ever looked at Madison Rain with the same, you know, uh, assertion of talent or ability that I would look at at Charlotte or Becky or a Sherry Martell or et cetera. But for this so, role, do you just need someone who can get along with everyone or do you need someone who can have an expertise like a Sherry Martell? Well, it's good that if, well, Sherry got along with everybody, but well, it, I wasn't it, saying you know, she didn't. I wasn't. Saying I know, but I'm just saying it's good if you can get along with everybody, but if you can teach them something, it's even better. And I would say that with the AEW women's roster, Madison Rain could probably teach them a few things. But the, the problem is, is that the entire list of uh, one more here? 
One more. Christopher Daniels, an AEW original who brings more than 30 years of industry experience, will continue to serve as manager of talent relations. The talent relations team will also remain in close contact with AEW's legal and talent resources team, <laughs> led by Margaret Stalvey, Chris Peck, and Mega Parrick, who help to support the physical and mental health, safety, and security of talent. Well, then they ought to be the ones that are hiring security for the parking lot because that's where everybody gets mugged and their security and safety is in question, right? AEW is also committed to supporting talent beyond the ring and offers access to world-class physicians, trainers, and mental health clinicians. Boy, the line is just begging to be there in some fashion about the guy issuing this statement needs the most mental health care. Uh, Christopher Daniels. 30 years experience in the business. What a, an, an intelligent guy, a, a talented guy. But if you've got him, it will continue to be the head of talent relations. So that means that he's the one that's got to feel the phone calls from all the talent going, why ain't Tony telling me what the fuck's going on? And then he's got to go to Tony and say, why ain't you telling this guy what the fuck's going on? And then Tony will tell him what's going on. He's got to go back to that guy and say, here's what the fuck's going on. You know, and again, this started because Tony Khan, who on his best day is probably as busy as can be. I mean, he has a lot going on in his life. There have been stories and we were probably, if we weren't the first, we had to be close to it. But we were talking a long time ago about structure issues in the back, guys having issues because they felt there was no one to talk to or there was no communication. Then we started seeing stories come out with the releases, various people. And again, despite who they are, when Marco Stunter Jelly Nutella says, yeah, all of a sudden we just never heard again from the company, that's not a good sign. Tony's been hearing it. There are a lot of internal things that need to be done better. There needs to be some structure. This is clearly an attempt to do that. But this is not going to help the problem. And it's not going to do anything to address the real issue. And it's not going to improve the product because nothing was said about somebody either taking over, helping out with, or in any way trying to mentor Tony Khan on creative. This is all about hiring more people for Tony Khan to tell what's going to happen and for them to tell other people. It's not solving the real problem why the show continues to further suck every week when he had shit going, when he had the right people to listen to, and now those people are either gone, injured, or excommunicated, but nobody is helping with creative. They're helping disseminate the creative plans, but nobody is actually being appointed to creative to see that those creative plans don't suck pond water. So that's the problem. You can add all these people you want to talk to everybody, but until Tony Khan understands that he not only does still not know what he's doing, but he doesn't know who to listen to to get ideas to figure it out, this shit's still going to be crappy booking with no continuity, illogic everywhere, of a schizophrenic television program where everybody gets a segment to do whatever they want, regardless of whether it fits the program as a whole. And the main 
money drawing aspect of the company besides the fact that they've lucked into a an audience that's going to support whatever they do regardless of how it sucks but they can't increase that audience cuz they've found all the people that fit that description and so unless that somebody can break through to Tony's clouded mind and say look you're a mark and you book for marks because you book like a mark. But there ain't a lot of goddamn marks anymore. There might be some fans if we could kind of get them interested, but your bullshit indie-rific comedy booking is not going to do that. So let's put somebody in charge of this and somebody to assist them and put you on the creative team, Tony, because you're the boss, so you can be on it. So maybe working with these people on a regular basis, you might learn something. Be the promoter. Spend the money. Make the deals. Get the contacts. You've done a great job with that so far. I've never seen worse booking since the Initial run of the guy that just wrote those shotgun Saturday night ideas. That is exactly what you need help with, Tony. So all these promotions of all these people to continue to tell other people what you want them to do is not going to solve the problem. The problem is your booking stinks and it only appeals to people that like the goddamn trampoline cowboys that you've brought into this fold. And they'll eat anything. They have no standards. Most people, all of those millions and millions that you're not getting to watch your program, they want the shit to make sense and they want people to look the part. That's where you're coming up short. And that's and you're not experienced enough to be able to keep all these wild personalities in check. So they're all going to fucking, as they already are, start disseminating into their little cliques and jousting with the other groups. And they're going to start hijacking your show for their benefit, like they already have. And you can't do anything to control them, Tony, because not only do you not know what they're doing and you don't know how they're doing it, and you don't know how this shit's supposed to fucking work to begin with, but you have no balls and you won't tell anybody, hey, dipshit, you work for me. Here's what you're doing. You don't want to do it? Fine. I don't care. Let me help you carry your bag to the car, and I'll find somebody in the parking lot that will do it. But you can't do that, Tony. Because the spirit is willing, but the willy is weak. So you have control of nothing. You've given a bunch of fucking jack-off indie guys that honestly don't appreciate it, probably more money than they've ever made in their lives, and you're creating a bunch of frustrated fucking talents, main event stars who actually know how to do this shit and could get over if you knew how to let them, and they want to make money. And they're sick and tired of all this goddamn recess-type behavior at the elementary school and all the fucking friends that get jobs for no reason and all the people that are pushed because the boss likes them or wants to dress up like them for Halloween, you're creating ill will in the hearts and minds of your serious talent 
that want to make money and want to draw and want to get over and want to kick Vince McMahon's ass. They don't want to play with the fucking pudding gang and wander around with a fucking cowboy that's wearing his wife's fucking pants to work. So I don't think much of these promotions because it's not addressing the real here. You know what the biggest issue in AEW is right now? Oh, I know what the biggest issue is. Yeah. Well, what I consider right now, right as, as we speak, you got one of the biggest names in professional wrestling. CM Punk is your AEW world champion. He gets an injury. So instead of stripping him of the belt, you decide to create an interim champion with the thought that when Punk is ready to go, that they will reunite those titles. That's a surefire story in any kind of combat sport. Can't miss fucking angle. And they've missed it. Because to do that properly, once Tony had made that decision to create an interim champion and not to strip Punk, then obviously, not only any genius, but anybody that just knows anything would have said, okay, the interim champion needs to be the strongest heel I've got with a big mouth. Because that interim champion needs to win that interim title and he needs to crow about it. He needs to get some wins every week against the majority of my roster. We got to keep him strong. He's claiming to be the real champion. He's beaten more people in the past six weeks than Punk defended against entirely. And he's crowing. And meanwhile, all you have to do is show the original champion at his doctor's office, speaking to the doctor, doing physical therapy, doing training, getting comments. Is he behind or ahead of his recovery? You know what? We're going to ask a question. Is he going to be ready? He might have to relinquish. Maybe he'll never be the same again. Is Tony Khan now debating the thought of stripping CM Punk of that championship? if he doesn't get back quick and making the interim champion, the real champion. And that whole time that heel is out there calling punk a coward. And finally he says something heinous or does something heinous and personal. Maybe he insults AJ Lee's book. I don't know. And that's when punk makes a surprise return and attacks the fucking guy that has caused him problems and has been creating this reign of terror. And they have a big pull apart. And Punk demands to be to come back and face this guy, but he's not medically cleared. Well, goddammit. We'll have a non-sanctioned match. He doesn't have to be medically cleared. After the regular card is over, lights out. Punk versus whoever. For all the marbles, the winner will be the undisputed AEW champion. And the returning conquering hero will slay a dragon, right or wrong, regain his property in the main event of a pay-per-view. Oh, I don't know. Maybe like in his hometown of Chicago. There's one coming up. If he ain't ready there, make it the pay-per-view in November or whenever. But what have they done? They not only didn't put the fucking interim title on a heel so that there would be a dragon for the conquering hero to return and slay, but they put it on a fucking garbage wrestler with an indie mindset who can't stay away from doing these garbage death matches on these outlaw mud show promotions. So there's a very good chance before they ever get to reunite 
the fucking title. Plumber Moxley will get injured by some fucking bank-addicted drug robber on one of these fucking underground human cockfighting shows. Or He's a babyface. That's the other problem. <laughs> well, or if he makes it, then he's a babyface, allegedly. And some of those people actually like that kind of thing. For a fucking balding, physically unimpressive, lack of athletic ability fucking goofball with some kind of brain damage that he likes garbage wrestling, he'll be the champion. But so you're splitting the audience. Who are they going to cheer for? Who's in the right? Who's being taken advantage of? The fucking whole presentation is completely off and has been. That's just one example. That's where you're drawing your money in the company. That's not, oh, golly, Daniel Garcia had a wonderful match against QT on Rampage. This is millions of dollars. This is pay-per-view buys. This is tickets in NBA arenas. That's what's wrapped up with Punk and the AEW title. And he's botched this, too. People should be already clamoring for Punk to return and kick the shit out of somebody that's impersonating him and claiming to be the champion when they're not really. Have you heard anybody say that? No. Every time that the fans get somebody hot, Tony Khan, either his natural instincts send him on a left turn every time, or the people in his company that are not professional enough to care about his business and instead just care about their reputation, give him bad advice. Brian Danielson's becoming the best single heel in wrestling. Let's put him in a group with the fucking plumber and a rookie and hide him and never let him speak. MJF, the most talked about wrestler in the world before he did the pipe bomb promo, fire me, you fucking Mark. Let's make sure he gets beat by Jericho and fucking sidelined and minimized by everybody until finally he and Punk make magic, sell tickets, sell pay-per-view, and draw ratings. What about FTR? The fans are cheering them as the greatest tag team in wrestling. Well, the fucking... Dickless EVPs can't have any of that, so let's change the plans. Let's not put them over in the rubber match. Let's not put all the belts on them. Let's let us go back and play with our friends and let FTR sit at home and joust with Dave Meltzer on Twitter. Yeah, they haven't even been on TV the last couple of weeks. They had all that positive momentum coming out of that Briscoe's match. They did the post-match scrum we talked about. Have they been on TV since? Wardlow. They were standing throwing babies in the air for Wardlow to get his hands on MJF and just for Wardlow in general. MJF's gone. Wardlow has been sued by a phony attorney, had a match with 20 fake security guards, and went 10 minutes with the company mascot on television after demolishing everybody in his path like a wrecking ball. And, and then he was playing last week with the Puddin' Gang. We can make note of all of those names and many more that at various points in time, the fans in the arenas and on television and out on the internet have been raving about wrestlers 
that were then minimized or disappeared by Tony Khan, apparently on the advice of people who were jealous of the wrestlers in question getting over in what they considered their spots. How else do you explain it? Hey, listen, the one that I want to focus on for a second here, I agree with everything you said. If you notice, the TV has fallen off a cliff in terms of how much good stuff is actually on the show since Punk and everyone, several of the people you just mentioned haven't been on the show. But Danielson. Danielson came in, he had been misused by WWE, and was instantly forgotten. The AEW fans were happy to have him there. He had a great match with Omega. He had a great match. He had met the match with Adam Page. I mean, he did some great stuff, and then he got over as a heel. I could still visualize him on the mic in the ring yelling at the fans that he's going to kick their favorite wrestler's head in. Explain any of the booking of him since then to me. He doesn't mean as much today as he meant then. Now, good booking can repair things. We'll see if that happens. Not forever. Not forever. You can damage something beyond repair if you fuck with it long enough. But since that time, they made him a babyface. They put him in a group. They took away his mic time. He got a concussion losing to Jericho in, in a, a garbage, garbage match. arena match. And then they brought him back and he tapped out to Daniel Garcia. Explain in any way how any of the booking of Brian Danielson, even if it's what he wants to do, a good booker has to be able to tell a wrestler, no, this doesn't work for us. Even if it's what Brian Danielson wants to do, tell me how any of that booking since Moxley came back has made any sense. Point is, Tony, congratulations. Wait a minute. Kudos to your uh, promotions there. Now actually put people in charge of the shit they need to be in charge of that it would help the company instead of just not hurt anybody's feelings because now somebody's talking to them. I'd rather have somebody completely ignore me than tell me they wanted me to do some bullshit that I know is shit. Just ignore my ass. I'll be over here in the corner hiding from you so everybody else can get some on them and I'll stay clean over here. Oh, it's, you know, I'll tell you, Brian, sometimes it just makes me want to just take a cross country trip, just get in my car and just drive. I'm surprised to hear that. Just drive away from humans, away from wrestling, away from the huddle, huddle, hustle, the huddle, the hustle and bustle of, of life and just get in my car. And just drive down the road. Maybe go out Route 66. Something like that. Get my kicks on Route 66. The problem you know I'd have. No. As soon as I'd get in the car, I'd drive 60 miles down the road. And I'd blow a Framistat. Or something like that. And I'd have to fix my car. But fortunately. Fortunately, folks. We know where you go. In order to fix your car, no matter what's wrong with it, our friends at rockauto.com. Now, just say, for example, a guy walked in. Actually, he didn't walk in the other day because they don't have a brick-and-mortar store. We've mentioned this. They're out in the South Seas on an island. No, they're not. Glass and plastic. That's not true. Well, you can't fix a car with brick-and-mortars. We've mentioned that. The mortar clogs up the fuel lines. But also... 
This guy, he didn't walk in, like I said, because they're not brick and mortar, but he went to the website, rockauto.com, and he had a, a common problem, something that, that people have all the time. You know your crankcase for the oil, right? The crankcase in his car had peanut oil in it. But fortunately, rockauto.com carries popcorn and chicken fingers. Oh, come on. So it all worked out in the end. No, they but don't. If you're, well, I thought they had everything your car or truck would ever need. I don't believe your car or truck needs popcorn or chicken fingers. I have eaten chicken fingers in my car on hundreds of occasions. You need the chicken fingers. Your car doesn't need the chicken fingers. Well, the car needs them if I'm going to eat them in the car. If folks, regardless of what you want to eat in your car, rockauto.com, if they don't carry the food, they'll, they'll at least carry some implements you can set it on fire with. There's a lot of things at rockauto.com that, that are flammable. And, and whether what? you can you can set them on fire or they just catch on fire naturally, sometimes they explode just right out. But they've got all kinds of stuff. If you want to find some shit that you can blow that you shit stop out it? of stuff with. See, this is the problem. I took a bite of something and I couldn't interrupt you to stop you as you started building up whatever it is you're doing here. Am Go I on. lying? There's a lot of things that are explosive or flammable on the rockauto.com website. Well, technically, you're probably correct, but that's not the way yeah. to look at these fine auto parts at the fine prices that they are sold at to the fine people over at rockauto.com. Correct? I don't know. I lost the way I lost the way you phrased that. So I don't know whether to answer it yes or no. But I'll tell you what, folks, whether it's engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, sticks of dynamite, hand grenades, or just flammable liquids of every kind and type. They've got thin flammable liquid. They have nope. thick, viscous flammable liquid. They've got they got stuff you can set fire to and it'll turn all kinds of colors. When Jim a, talks about setting fire, he's talking about starting your engine, igniting the engine, and, of course, the fuse that will propel your car. Nothing nefarious, nothing scary, nothing to be afraid of. The usual combustion that propels you along your day. Yes, it's, a, it's an internal combustion engine. So every time that you start the engine, something technically does blow up. It explodes, and that ignites the whole thing. So the trick is to try to keep the explosion beneath the hood of your car or truck instead of having it come and break the boundaries of that and then fireballs begin leaping up in the air. And then, you know, but rockauto.com does carry fire extinguishers and foaming type of apparatuses and things, blankets that you can throw over a fire. So, folks, when you get the part for your car or truck from rockauto.com, also, remember to get some fire retardant clothing and some foam and a fire extinguisher just in case. So when you combust all these elements, you know, you got to think about safety. But anyway, they've got an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. And you can go to rockauto.com right now and write JCE in their How Did You Hear About Us box. And that way they'll know that we're the ones that have been talking about all of the explosive items that you can buy from rockauto.com. The catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Yes, it so is. So again, whatever you need, don't pay the prices of the chain stores and the brick and mortar shops. 
If you want to blow up your car truck or set something oh, on fire. No, that's not no what we're going to say. And that's not how we're going to sell this. Of course, if you want to help your car, fix up your car, repair your car, or maybe get a car part for someone you love, this is a wonderful service to use. Or if you want to put someone that you used to love, but you don't anymore into one of these cars and stick a wrong part in it, oh, where God when they it. start it up, well, you never know what could happen. Why do you always look on the, not on the bright side of things, what would you say, on the wrong side On the shady things? side. On the, on shady, the shady side. side Let's be life. positive. Rock Auto is going to rock everyone's world with their auto parts. Boy, expeditions blow up sky high. That'll rock your world. But I'll tell you, my God, one way or another, these people are going to fix up your car. And and that's just the last word on that. RockAuto.com. JCE in the How Did You Hear About Us box while you still have the chance before they hear this spot. All right. Well, what are you doing over there uh, on the 605 programs this fine week, Mr. Last? Another action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network and information about all the shows on Twitter. At Super Podcasts or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. The latest episode of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam is out right now. A review of SummerSlam 97, including Steve Austin's injury in that match with Owen Hart and so much more. Hear it today at McAdamPod.com or look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I also want to make mention of the latest episode of the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast, Mike Sempervivi and Roman Gomez out right now, reviewing Mid-Atlantic television from early 1983, Sergeant Slaughter, Ricky Steamboat, Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, and so much more. MidAtlanticPod.com, or look for the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Ooh, I like that. Hopefully that's not after rockauto.com sends you something. Go through the archive today at 605pod.com. Available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mothership. All righty, I guess it's time to close this thing up with a conversation about last week's AEW television show. And one more thing, I'm giving him another week or two. Because a lot of people say, well, now you should be watching every minute of all the WWE programs since Triple H is back. Well, he just walked back in the door. It's still the same fucking program. We can see signs of life, promising things. I believe the word wrestler was mentioned the other day. Um, it's now Harry a story. Cross. Yeah, that these names aren't, these yep. words aren't banned anymore. Karrion Cross and Scarlett are back. And I guarantee you, Obviously, Triple H had the heart problem, the health problem. He wasn't in a medically induced coma. He was capable of communicating with people. And I bet when he saw that, and he's been around, and he knew what was going on from the inside, he probably, there was a few people, I know some of the folks that have been let go were snatched up or picked up or have gone other places, but he probably told Karrion Crook, because that was glaring. I mean, now we don't know whether the guy's a crackpot or not, in real life with the other people he hangs out with the control your narrative bunch or whatever, but they triple H probably told Karrion cross. Don't sign anything. I'll get you back in here. They've made a drastic mistake. 
And that's probably what happened. Remember, they brought him up to the main roster, and then I think he lost to Jeff Hardy on his first night in. Yes, well, and then they gave they took Scarlet away, and they gave him some goofy outfit, looked like you know demolition costume made out of fucking some stuff you found in the janitor's closet or whatever. Considering the role that Triple H has now, how upset do you think he is that William Regal was released? Whoa, I guarantee you, he's not happy about that because. Again, if Tony was smart enough to be able to use Regal properly, I mean, everybody is tickled that he's out there doing color commentary for the Blackpool Combat Club. But if he was the on-camera voice of the promotion, the face and the voice and the guy to lay things down, then he would be able to help everybody draw money instead of being tied down into one thing. And also, he's a guy that should really be in the ring with these guys and or I'm not talking as an active wrestler. I'm talking about workouts, showing them little tips, things, helping training, not going in there and going 20 or 30 minutes with fucking guys, but coaching and teaching. That's who ought to be in charge of coaching and teaching. But Tony, Tony gets talent and puts them in all the wrong places. Whereas Vince would get talent and try to hammer them into the square hole that fit their round peg that he wanted them to be in or whatever. But anyway, nevertheless, we're going to give the WWF programs a week or two more to settle down because it's still kind of the same boring show because you can't turn the Titanic on a dime, but there's, there's reason for hope. So we'll see what comes up in the next week or so. Because right now it hadn't been that significantly different because why would it be already? If you're Triple H, do you pull up someone from NXT or do you try to fix NXT? Do you just pull up a Braun Steiner or a uh, Cameron Grimes or someone or do you leave them down there and try to fix that? Well, you don't leave Braun Steiner in NXT to fix NXT. Cameron Grimes is a great kid. He's not going to make a world of difference being brought up in any program just on his own without any help. Uh, Braun Steiner might, but you don't want to rush him and give up your future just for the sake of today, because he's still not as good as he's going to be in six months or a year. If I, to be honest, uh, they've already sabotaged NXT, and it's just been the just a rotten show with rotten names of rotten talent, etc. I'd concentrate. If I was Triple H on trying to shake up Raw and SmackDown, change the format, change the dreariness, get more action and excitement in the thing, before you even bring up any other talent, you could certainly, anybody that's ever been in the wrestling business could write a better show than Raw and SmackDown is right now with the talent they got and in their sleep. Just change it back to a fucking wrestling show that's exciting instead of a goddamn endless parade of music and clownery and buffoonery that takes for fucking ever. That's why people zone out on it. I'm not talking about crash TV. I'm talking about turn it into a fucking wrestling show with wrestling announcers and fucking wrestling matches and competition being the key and rivalries, personal issues amongst the guys you've got, shit that's believable. Let them come up with their own shit. 
off the top of their head on the promos about the subject that you have delineated for them instead of these droning, mindless, monotone, scripted recitations. Put some life in the fucking thing. Change the format up. Don't have people go into the ring and you don't see them again for 15 minutes. That's what I'd do first if I was him. And anybody, it wouldn't, it's, it wouldn't be hard. Anybody could take the same talent that they've got now and write a better wrestling show if they had any experience in the wrestling business. Just whatever this, that they're doing now is, is just way past boring and stale. Anyway, that's Triple H and the WWE. Speaking of boring and stale over on the other side of the, the street, I, I I wouldn't go into any deta- detail on this show because it wasn't really worth it except I'm gobsmacked at what was shown. And it's amazing that just the loss or absence of a couple of guys can can do this. I'm not talking about all the people that are injured. I'm just talking about the people that were carrying this program and were doing the good stuff. The opening match, and this was Wednesday night, August 3rd, the opening match on AEW was Jay Lethal versus Pockets. The wrestling war is up for grabs, and the first thing that we see on this national cable television show is a fucking bland, unimpressive parking lot attendant walking to the ring playing Jefferson Starship from 30 years ago. People say I'm behind the times. Well, no, it's a little bit older than that. Actually, no. Um, Jane, you're playing again. That's 40 years. Imagine that. How time flies. And here's Jay Lethal, one of the most underutilized talents on the roster who can perform, who can talk, who's a quality human being, who's never going to get you any bad publicity, who doesn't try to fucking well. <laughs> cut other people's nuts off. What? That's one big issue with Jay Lethal is the fact that he does have a lot of negative publicity around him, and that's what causes a lot of people to. But not, not for wanna... not for anything actually legitimate for the ravings of a bunch of fucking lunatic women. Well, I don't know that. I just know that women made accusations about. It. I never heard any end to it, but I mean that's still out there. So whenever Jay, I Lethal... heard, I heard, I heard two women made accusations, and both of them could fucking have a staff of psychiatrists retiring on just their cases. So as far as I'm concerned, fuck anybody says anything bad about Jay Lethal. How's that? If you say anything bad about Jay Lethal, you're a racist. How's that? The point is, he doesn't have any bad habits. He doesn't have any substance abuse issues. He's not going to go out and fucking drive drunk and get in the newspapers. He's not going to go out and be busted for fucking drug possession. He's not going to go out and goddamn wrestle the invisible man. Or a six-year-old child. He's a competent professional. He's experienced. And he's never... As a matter of fact, he was the model employee in Ring of Honor. If you wanted somebody to do an appearance at a children's hospital or a local television affiliate or a sponsor's location of business, the entire locker room ought to be embarrassed that this was done on television and pissed off that they're breaking their bodies for a guy that doesn't take his own business seriously. Before you get to the match, if I could ask you a question. I'm not going to get to the match. I didn't watch it. It was involved pockets. I'm not going to... I'm talking about the insult to his locker room 
the insult to his business and the insult to his television program that every week, just because he wants to dress up like this fucking clown for Halloween, that Tony Khan will subject us to looking at this fucking guy to the detriment of everybody involved in his business because he's a mascot and he's a favorite. What were you going to say? And by the way, on that topic, it is interesting and I would guess somewhat coincidental, only coincidental, that when the guys left the show that made the show good and the show started going in a weird direction, sometimes directionless, sometimes just filled with random New Japan wrestlers, that's right when he came back onto the scene. And I know he hasn't started every show, but he started several, it feels like, recently. Like, the first thing you see is him and Chuck Taylor and fucking uh, Trent. Well, because the, 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 the thing, they're trying to keep the Big Bang Theory viewers, and the Big Bang Theory has a lot of women viewers, and apparently they've decided through their research that women who don't like wrestling but watch the Big Bang Theory will stick around to watch someone make fun of the wrestling they don't like, so they'll laugh at it before they switch the channel to the show they actually want to watch. That is the theory for opening the show with pockets. So, but you know, hey, here's the thing. I just need to open a steakhouse for vegetarians. Did you see the post-match? I'm getting to that. So Lethal won the match, of course. They're not that crazy, but he came out worse for it because it placed him as a comedy preliminary guy in people's minds. I was surprised. And then... I was surprised that Tony actually had Jay Lethal go over. Well, I, actually, I am too, but not with what happened next. Because they've got to sacrifice Jay Lethal to somebody else. Because Lethal called out Wardlow. And as he called out Wardlow, he and Sanjay and old Zippy, the giant pinhead, start getting more heat on pockets. And here comes the Puddin' Gang. The Puddin' Gang to like, they're going to make a save. And then Wardlow. And the heels bail out. And Sanjay agrees that next week, or at Battle of the Belts, rather, it'll be Jay Lethal versus Wardlow. And, that, and that's going to be a good match. But with this buildup, again, they worked so hard. They all worked so hard. Wardlow becomes a phenomenon. And now he's buddying up with the Puddin' Gang. They all worked so hard. And I don't want to just dismiss the Giant because of the way he's been used. And, I mean, Jay, Jay Lethal, I was supposed to say Jay used. Jay Lethal has been used poorly since he's been there. Sanjay, he's pretty good on the mic, but I don't think because of the way they've all been used, any of this really like matters in the general scheme of things. It was nice to see them at least set him up for a match with Wardlow, maybe. When's Battle of the Belts? Next week? No, tonight. Oh, is it a fuck? I was going to say, at least it gives him a week to build up the match. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't even do that. No, they announced it for four days ahead of time. They announced it for four days ahead of time, but I don't know. I mean, the giant... Hasn't been awful. He hasn't been as bad as almost in his limited interactions with different no, things. No, but that's that's even worse. They just brought him out and started showing him. They've had him interacting with silliness. and <sighs> I was shocked that Jay Lethal won this match. Based on the way Tony uses Orange Cassidy, especially lately, 
I mean, it makes sense. Obviously, you're building up to the Wardlow. We didn't know that yet, but the fact that he pinned Orange Cassidy, I was blown away. I said, wow, they really are going to use Jay Lethal. When they get serious (laughs) about their business, there won't be any Orange Cassidy on the television program if they ever get serious. And speaking of getting serious, here is the big angle. Remember, Uncle Dave reported, well, the third FTR and Bucks match may be on hold because they're planning a big angle. Here's the big angle. What did we say a month ago? I bet you that the the Hardly boys, to get out of this thing with FTR, they're going to shoot some kind of deal to bring the rest of their trampoline friends back in and have a big six-man jack-off fest where they all masturbate each other over all the cool little cartwheels they can do. So they did the angle to set that exact thing up. Yeah, we said they're going to bring back Kenny for the six-man thing and that they're going to do everything they can because of the reaction to FTR to turn themselves into as big a baby faces as they can. Give them credit. You found the crying kid. But this is exactly what we said was going to happen. The kid was like, Daddy, can't we go home now? This was exactly what we said was going to happen. This is exactly what we knew was going to happen. And hey, keep them all in one division playing with each other. I'm okay with that. So Adam Cole and Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly and the Hardly Boys are all in the ring together. And Adam Cole is still injured. He still can't compete because none of these idiots know how to work. And even the ones who do know how to work are put in garbage matches where injury is inevitable. O'Reilly's injured. He's not cleared either. But Adam Cole gets pissed that the Hardly Boys weren't loyal and they didn't pick old Bobby Fish to be their third man in this trios tournament. And so therefore, the two guys that are apparently not medically cleared enough to wrestle and Bobby Fish turn on and beat the shit out of the guys that are apparently just fucking healthy and fine as frog's hair. No story that anybody gives a shit about. It's the same old bitch fest between whiny douchebags. We were friends. We were friends. I thought we were friends. There's no fucking raw fucking of somebody or stealing of something or hurting their good, close, personal friend or a family member. It's all, we we, we used to be tied. Now you don't hang out with me anymore. We've been meaning to talk for a while. You fucking douchebags, you pussies, you limp dicks. No wonder nobody gives a shit about your shit because it's all so silly and meaningless and paltry. And with Bobby Fish standing there with Cole and O'Reilly and both of the Hardly boys, it looked like four teenage juvenile delinquents and their parole officer. But at least when they beat up the Hardleys, they beat up Cutlet too. But now there's the Hardleys selling. Now they're baby faces. So the rubber match with FTR where they put FTR over doesn't make any sense anymore. And while the heels are running roughshod, the guy that made the save was Adam Page. Hangman Adam Page. Hangnail Adam Page with a the phony lead pipe that they keep in the prop department, and he came out to the ring wearing a wife beater and his wife's blue jeans. Did you see those pants? They had embroidered <laughs> butterflies. 
I think a cowboy. I'm thinking of Terry Funk riding the range at the Double Cross Ranch. I'm thinking of the flaming branding iron. I'm thinking of the bulldog headlock of cowboy Bob Ellis. I'm thinking of people that ride horses and ride the range. Cowboy Bill Watts. And here comes hangnail Adam Page in his wife's pants. So that was that angle. Everything we said was going to come to pass came to pass. It's almost like we can pay attention and see these things for ourselves. Go ahead. Will Adam Page be disappointed when the Bucks team with Kenny? Well, of course he will, because his feelings will be hurt, and he'll block them on Twitter. Seriously, all this shit is junior varsity. This is the JV section of AEW. If it was kids wrestling, if it was like that Matt Rats thing they tried to do on MTV or whatever, where they're appealing to 13-year-old children, these guys would be perfect. But it's not. Uh, Plumber Moxley was in the back, and he droned on in his usual fashion. I believe one of the quotes was, painting the canvas with his opponent's blood. That's what he likes to do. Did they do a brain scan on this guy at the rehab facility that he checked into to make sure that he didn't have other cognitive issues? He's hysterical. <laughs> Every promo now but I not just on laugh purpose. about. No, 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 no. But now I find these promos so funny because they're always like, I am going to kill your whole family. And then I'm going to do that. <laughs> it's just every promo. And when I bite into your carotid artery and chew the gristle that leads me to drink your blood. Did I mention blood? And at the same time, it's like... If I didn't have, well, actually, I have Spectrum Cable. So I was going to say, if I didn't have good cable TV, but I don't have good cable TV, I have Spectrum Cable, and everybody knows they're assholes, criminals, and incompetence. But I would think that my horizontal hold was going sideways as he, he blows in the breeze with the sideways thing, and the head's moving, <laughs> and the shoulders are moving, and the whole body is swaying like a bad reception of a picture from the rabbit ears back in the 70s. So Tony Shavani was in the back with Christian. Christian Cage, who talked for 15 seconds, and the best heel promo that we've been seeing for the past few weeks, he gets 15 seconds. And suddenly Jungle Boy screeches into the picture, driving... Okay, you remember in the Attitude Era, right? Maybe you're having an interview with The Rock backstage in one of these big buildings, and then suddenly, here comes a fucking limousine or some kind of jacked-up monster truck or some kind of striking vehicle screech into a halt and out jumps Steve Austin and they go to town or whatever. Well, in this case, Christian talks to Tony for 15 seconds, and here comes a vehicle screeching in. It's Jungle Boy in a mid-sized dollar rental car. And he jumps out, and security immediately is there. Apparently, security is there until the fight actually starts. And then they run off because they don't want anything to do with it. But since the fight didn't really start, the security were able to hold Jungle Boy back. <sighs> I don't care. Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter wrestled Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm, or Thunderstorm and Tony Rosa. Wait a minute, Tony Rosa, was that the partner of Tony Donna Rosa. Christantello back in the 70s? <laughs> you may, maybe Donna Christantello and Tony Rosa were... So the heels won this match. What were your comments about it? Did you watch any of this match? 
Not a goddamn second. I wish you would have, because these are actually four of the higher tier AEW women's wrestlers, so it's worth watching I, this. I am not going to argue with you there, and I've been a fan of Tony Storm. She looks like a star, and Thunder Rosa's a good wrestler, but my God, what they've been putting her through lately. And I'm getting a little tired of the whole Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, Reba thing, because... It's been a lot of silliness, but your your thoughts on it. I'll tell you the most impressive... I liked the match. I thought it was actually a pretty good match. The most impressive person in this match, to me, Jamie Hayter. Jamie Hayter can bump. Everything she does looks good. I like Jamie Hayter a lot. You didn't see the match. I may have a way of filling you in on what happened. Okay. I had Jace, because I had a thought watching this match. Uh-oh. <laughs> I asked Jace to transcribe... Everything Tony Schiavone actually said on Mike during the match. Okay. He's one of the commentators there, the TV commentator. They have a job to do something, and that's commentate on wrestling. You would think if a blind person was watching and maybe only listening to Tony Schiavone, would he be saying anything? And I've said it many times here on the show. Schiavone says nothing of any importance on any match ever. Well, and remember, that's what Jim Ross... Um... He said that that was Leroy McGurk's test of an announcer because Leroy was the boss, he was the promoter, but he was also blind. And if he could understand what was going on by listening to the announcer, that was a good announcer. So how does Tony pass, pass muster on a standard like that? Well, you tell me what you think is happening in the match. Here we go. Okay. Everything now I these, said- these are just, these are not all the announcers. These are just the comments during the women's tag Made by Tony Schiavone himself. Just Tony Schiavone. And to be fair, he's the third announcer. It's a third seat. You probably don't need a third announcer, but if the person was there, and we've seen it with other people, like Taz, usually they add something. Yeah. Everything I say from this point forward will be a Tony Schiavone quote in order. I agree with all that. I really do. What a rivalry. This is pure hatred right here. Be careful. Smart tag by Britt Baker. Jamie Hayter trying to find some refuge in the ropes there. and. Made a mistake. You turn your back on Thunder Rosa. She doesn't give a damn. Looking forward to being back in Chicago for almost an entire week. All three of them do. I mean, she's kind of by herself on this. She got three of the top contenders. Right at Brit. I was thinking the same thing, Taz. That's the rivalry we were talking about. She's one of the strongest sluggers, hitters, in all AEW. Men or women. There's been a lot of hot ones in this match, buddy. There have been. Oh, man. Everything's so vicious as Britt. When Britt clinches that jaw, you can see it in her face, buddy. She's going to lay it in. Steel cage match turned everything around. San Antonio, Texas. It wasn't home cooking, but it was a home court advantage. Rub off the face paint. You're right, Taz. Good call. She hit the head. Whoa. Yeah, another high cross body, too. Yeah, Jamie Hayter is amazing. The thing she can do. The women's division is powerful and strong. Oh, she absorbed that ripcord blow. Thunder. Yeah, Baker knows what's going on. She's raking the eyes for a reason. This is a hell of a match. I'm with you, Excalibur. I had no idea where she came from. My God, all of a sudden, into your screen, into the frame. God, Jamie Hayter, Jamie Hayter, wow. It has. Listen to the fans, man. They're digging this match, and so are we. 
They were hooking hands, hooking arms that time. Okay, I hate to say this, but does anybody know who the legal ladies are in this one? <laughs> and the final comment after the match ended, if you thought that the Doctor and Jamie Hayter weren't working well together, erase that from your mind right now, Excalibur. They came in looking together. Same colors. And there it is, the insight of Tony Schiavone into this women's tag uh, match. Did, uh, did he ever get answers to any of those questions, I wonder? So, um, where do we go from here? Oh, well, you know what happened next, Brian. Because th this was such a success as a segment on the AEW program a while back, they decided to do it again. <laughs> another, another video of Sammy Guevara proposing to another girl. Remember the last time it didn't work out quite right? What was her name? Last time it wasn't a video. Last time it was live in the arena. Well, yeah, la last time it was on TV, though. They did it. He dropped down on his knee and proposed to the girl. I can't remember her name. He was, she was his longtime girlfriend. She, I can picture her there now wearing my Aunt Lola's couch cover from the 70s for a dress. And he proposed to her and then apparently promptly dumped her for Ty Conti and got such heat on the internet for it for being a lousy person that it switched him heel. Along with his slappable face and his nuclear heat getting current girlfriend, old Ty Conti. So now they had a cheesy video of them at a retreat somewhere with the champagne and he's proposed and they're getting married. And then Eddie Kingston was in the back shitting on the video. You think they're going to have the, the wedding on television? Yeah, because uh, Jericho's involved, I do. Uh, or at least a wedding on television. Yeah. But it's a pretty funny gimmick if you think about it, if he keeps us up, you know, after him and Ty Conti end. If a wrestler constantly got engaged on TV to multiple Every week. women. <laughs> And come out and act like it has never happened before. This week, hi, Tony, I'd like you to meet my fiance, Deborah, <laughs> And we're going to get married. As a matter of fact, I'm going to propose right now. And then Tony's like, well, you did this last week with, with Evelyn. What are you talking about? Based on the voice you just did, I see Stan Lane doing the gimmick now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Stan may have done that gimmick, just not on television. No, he never... He never proposed to anybody. He proposed things, but he didn't propose marriage. Um, the Starks and Hobbs incident VTR, where last week, Starks, uh, they did 17 angles in one segment and nobody understood it. And Taz didn't know why that Starks beat Hook, but the, or Starks beat Danhausen, but then Hook challenged Starks, and Starks no. lost to Hooks. No, S Hooks didn't. Hooks. Hook didn't challenge Starks. Starks challenged anyone after the match well, to come out. Okay, but Chark, Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> we can't even explain this shit. <laughs> Starks was the champion that had the FTW belt that wasn't a real recognized title, but they act like it is, but the whole heat of it is that it's not, and it was Taz's title, and Starks is in Team Taz, along with Hobbs, and Taz's son, Hook. So Starks beat Danhausen, then challenged anybody else to come out, and then Hook accepted the challenge, in effect challenging 
Starks. Hook wins his dad's own belt from Starks, the member of Team Taz, but then Starks is not upset by it because he cuts a babyface promo and gets the people really into him. And suddenly, in the middle of that, Hobbs, for no apparent reason that has never yet been explained, just clotheslined the fuck out of his formerly broken neck from behind and beat the shit out of him. And Taz was saying, well, I don't know why any of this is happening. So now this week, they do the VTR of those incidents and then have Taz give the explanation, which is that he still doesn't know why any of that happened and he wishes them all good luck, but since... Team Taz can't get along. He's officially dissolving Team Taz on an on-camera of the announcers. This thing's been a, a deal since the start of AEW, Team Taz. And now they dissolve the whole thing amidst controversy in an announcer on camera. What the fuck? Can, can we just pause for a second before you go I forward wish we could. to remember Team Taz? Because they were, in the early days of AEW, one of the most misused groups from, like, day one. Taz was great on the mic. They misused him. Ricky Starks, they put him with Taz. They didn't do much with him. Brian Cage was there for a while. That didn't really work out for a number of reasons. No, Hobbs, but they did, it. they did improve the group by kicking him out of it. That's right. So that made it stronger. Powerhouse Hobbs has a world of potential. We've really liked him and Ricky Starks together. Hook has a unique thing going on. You say he accepted the challenge. He did it in a nonverbal manner. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He just does well, things. Well, when you walk out there and start fighting a guy, that's kind of accepting. And I want to congratulate the family. They got the FTW title belt back on the, uh, the mantle, I guess, at home. But they've been misused from day one. And if I, I, can't, imagine, I can't imagine it's going to happen, but I'll say it. If, if breaking up Team Taz and Taz being the commentator means that Starks and Hobbs will be used better, I'm okay with that, but I, I'm fearful of how they'll be used, but they should be used so much better. Well, but now you've taken guys that are talented but have been basically non-entities, especially Hobbs, and instead of getting them over as a unit and then turning one on the other one, you've just split them up when, the, when they're meaningless now. So that means the split is meaningless. That's Wrestling 101. But unfortunately, nobody in this company cracks a book. Uh, but immediately after that recap and dissolving of Team Taz, Hobbs makes an entrance and has a single match on television. I can't say it's the only one I've ever seen, but can you remember Hobbs actually having a single match to beat a motherfucker in decisive fashion on this television program before, and if it has happened, has it been more than a year, year and a half? I don't remember it happening on this television program. I don't know what happens in their other YouTube universe. Okay, well, that's the thing. When he comes down, his Hobbs's record in AEW is supposedly 50 and 21. Number one, that means you've beaten this fucking beast 21 times when he should have been a project from the start. And number two, that means... He's wrestled 71 times, and we've seen it like four times on television in multiple man matches. He's been there for all those years, and now they're going to attempt to push him. He, he, familiarity breeds contempt and indifference in different cases. And this is bred indifference because he's there, but he's not. 
He looks great, but he never does anything. People talk about him. Every once in a while you see him hit a move, but most of the time, blah, blah, blah. So Hobbs comes out to fight Ren Jones, and this is exactly what it should have been. He swarmed him, power slammed him, clotheslined him, and beat him. That's what he should have been doing three years ago, and now he should be in main event matches. But instead, we got Tony's backward booking again. They put him in a few main events and on the periphery of shit when he didn't have any idea what he was fucking doing. Now he's got all kinds of experience. Blah, blah, blah. So then Ricky Starks hits the ring, and they have a hockey fight, and the people are up. And Stark shoves the referee and, and turns back to Hobbs, and Hobbs hits a spine buster on him and leaves him selling. This was actually the best three minutes of the show because it made sense and it got something across, and it was positive. Would you have had Hobbs do a promo here to explain anything the week after? Well, no, because we still have barely ever heard Hobbs talk either. And a big guy like that doesn't need to be doing a lot of the explaining. That's why they should have... Well, again, I don't know what the thought process behind this whole thing is. But now you've got Hobbs floating out there on his own. Him and Starks together, you've got the little cocky, obnoxious heel Starks that can run his mouth a mile a minute. And you've got the big bastard standing next to him that's going to put the hammer down on you. And that's the way you get a heel team over and then once you get them over then you give starks some type of redeeming human quality where he shows some measure of compassion or mercy or fucking empathy or some decent human trait in some respect that hobbs takes exception to and then hobbs lowers the boom on him from behind and plants him when it means something, then if Hobbs had somebody else in the group that could fulfill the Starks role, then that person would make the explanation that you think this monster here was going to sit back and let you turn into a pussy Ricky Starks. He wants to tear the flesh off people's bones. He thought you were with him. Apparently, you're too soft. So now I'm in charge of the monster powerhouse Hobbs. And then you have Hobbs kill people. And Starks has to come back and try to get even. It makes some sense. People are in the right place. You can follow it. He left Starks laying this week. Yes. Does that happen again next week, or can it not happen again for a little while? Well, no, it doesn't need to happen every week, or elsewise then Starks is impotent. But we see the way Tony does things. He rushes all these things. Well, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm saying, no, it doesn't need to happen because now Hobbs has the heat. Now Starks has to come out and not only finish trying to explain to the people, which he was interrupted before of, you know, what his viewpoint is, but he needs to be the one to say, and Hobbs apparently we didn't see eye to eye because you wanted to and then do the fucking horrible thing, whereas I wanted to do the right thing or whatever the fuck. You need to keep giving Hobbs wins. Starks has had more, and Starks is a better, a more experienced performer, but not as physically dominating. So let Starks win some matches and let him do some promos, but let Hobbs just crush people. And then 
after another few weeks where you've established the reason that all this happened and you've established that both these guys in their own way are competent, then Hobbs needs to do something else to Starks. And maybe during that point in time, Starks can make the big bastard slip and fall on his ass and people laugh at him. He can't beat Hobbs up or beat Hobbs or pin Hobbs or make Hobbs submit or bust Hobbs open, but he can embarrass him because he's smart and he's quick and he's clever and Hobbs is a, you know, inexperienced muscle head. And then that would make Hobbs mad and want to do something really fucking heinous to Starks and there's your angle and then you book your match. It, it, it's not difficult. It's nice to see something like that, too, where there's not a feud over a title. It's a feud over personal issues. But it'd be nice if we could figure out what the personal issue was. (laughs) We don't know what it is yet, but we assume there's a personal issue. So Miro was talking to God again, and he's still mad at the House of Black. And then Darby Allin says that he's the one that told Tony Khan to hire Brody King, which that makes no sense in the world, because why would... The babyface friend and protege of Sting want Tony Khan to give some big tattooed fuck a job to go into a heel group like the House of Black and fuck with people. It makes no fucking sense. It's really what happened. I'm sure he really did. In terms of storyline, the lights went out, the lights came back on, Brody King was in the ring helping Malachi Black. Right. So we're supposed to believe Darby said, give my friend the job, and then sometime between then and when he got on the air, he hooked up with Malachi Black. Yes, they're such, they're such marks that they think they're smart to the business, they're too smart for their own good. They can't even think about, they're not trained or taught from the start when they get in the business of how to talk about the business or how to reference things that go on because they're all goddamn internet marks that are used to being in chat rooms with other marks that use these expressions or talk in this fashion. So apparently what we are told to believe, and I know he's a mental case, Darby Allen's a, he's a charismatic little son of a gun. And for however long he's got left in the business before he's paralyzed, people are going to like him because he's got a lot of oomph and charisma and the shit that he does. And we've also mentioned he's a complete fucking idiot because he does all this dangerous stuff for a shoot for free, just for thrills and fun instead of money and pussy like everybody else. But he allegedly in this interview with one of those tattoo guns tattooed, the coffin will close on Brody King on the palm of his hand. And I'm surely not. They had to work that this fucking moron would not tattoo in his own bl- bad-looking, unneat block printing, the coffin will close on Brody King on the palm of his hand for real for a fucking pre-taped promo. One would think. I don't know. Right? You never know with this fucking guy. I don't know. So these are the kind of fucking mental deficients that we're supposed to support as baby faces on this program now. Um, JR made his entrance... Christian Cage wrestled Matt Hardy. Seriously. The youngest demo in wrestling, we are told, and they are running a rematch from a WWF angle from 2001. 
I like Christian Cage. He's done great work. As a heel, especially over the last few weeks, they botched the whole thing with him and the fucking lizard and Jungle Boy's... What's the matter with... who? The more I see of Jungle Boy, the more I've given up. At first, I was like, wow, I can really do something with that fucker. He's just so bland and has no personality. He can't talk. So Christian is in this thing, and suddenly he's wrestling Matt Hardy. And we've mentioned Matt... It looks like he's in pain when he tries to fart. He can't move. The first part was not good. They know what they're doing. They know what to do. And they did the best they could. And it wasn't... This match was neither stupid nor amateurish. But it's just... It's... Why? And actually, going into the finish, they picked it up. And they had the people. And this may have been... Faint praises it might be. May have been the best that Matt Hardy has looked in I don't know how long. And so at least they're having a match, right? And they're professionals. And it's not stupid. And then suddenly Matt Hardy pulls <laughs> a fucking table up to the side of the ring, puts Christian on it, gets on the apron, comes off with an elbow drop, Christian moves, and Matt Hardy goes through the table. And then Christian rolls him in. One, two, three. So they had him into it. And they could have done some kind of finish to make Matt look somewhat competent, but Christian steal it with some little heel move or whatever. But instead, they bring in the table. The fans start cheering the table instead of the talent. When And the fans were getting into this fucking thing at the end. They didn't have to ruin it. The fans were cheering the table, not the talent. Then the table spot got the big pop. And then Christian rolled Matt Hardy into the ring and beat him flat to a blah reaction. And then Christian gets the chairs for the concerto, but here comes Jungle Boy and Dino, and they ran him off. This went from bad to good, back to bad again. Yeah, I Your thoughts. I didn't watch Mem too closely. Mem member of the Matt Hardy fan club. I didn't watch too closely because it was Matt Hardy. And whatever you want to say, if you've been watching AEW weekly regularly since the beginning or for the last two years, you couldn't want to see more Matt Hardy right now. And I certainly didn't. One thing, I saw a couple of people tweet this at me. And I was like, that was interesting. The fact that more than one person had the same thought. So I'll just say it here. If you notice, Luchasaurus has not put his hands on Christian yet. Very good point. Very good point. So then the question arises, has this all been a plot? And it's obvious that if it works, that Jungle Boy becomes the absolute stupidest babyface that's ever been. So I can believe that may be the direction they're looking in because <laughs> if there's a way that Tony can come up with a goddamn surprise swerve to make one of his baby faces look stupid or make one of his heels look better than the baby faces, that's what'll happen. So maybe that's where they're going. Uh, Daniel Garcia, where would the show be without him? He tried to do a promo with Tony Schiavone. He can't speak either. You know um, what, Anna Jay, I don't know if we skipped it already if you're, or you talked about it, but Anna Jay did a promo on this show? Anna J-A-S? Yes. 
she does the same promo as Garcia. Like, not word for word or anything, but if you watch the way that they all of a sudden are moving and talking, they're doing like the same exact promo. It's kind of funny. Well, they're probably all practicing. No, she's after this next in-ring promo thing uh, where she chokes out the production assistant. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we're we're not there yet. The, did you see the VTR package on pack? And apparently they have been doing a deal, not only in AEW, but around the world at various outlaw shows that pack appears at where the little Pip Sabian is the guy sitting in the crowd with a cardboard box over his head and eye holes cut out. And this has been going on for months now. Not just in Europe, apparently, because we've heard from a few people that have mentioned this. Apparently, at AEW shows, it's never been referenced on TV. He was visible, I think, last week sitting ringside. Yes. But apparently, he's been doing this for like a year, year and a half or something, where he attends all the shows, he sits there with that on, and somehow it's the most charisma and personality he's ever had. Well, any time you can cover up Pip Sabian's face, you're going to make him more appealing, but... Is somebody paying him to do that? Are they getting promoters that are so stupid they would pay a supposed wrestler to sit in the crowd with a cardboard box on his head for a long-term angle with fucking pack? That's what Tony's paying him to do. And so since we've last seen that fucking little pip with the video game fiasco, he's been sitting in audiences in various parts of the world with a cardboard box on his head harassing pack. Now they're actually talking about it on television and they expect people to give a shit that Pac has some skinny, scrawny fucking outlaw guy following him around in the crowd with a cardboard box over his head. Gotcha. The other page was in the ring for a promo and he starts talking and here comes old Stokely Bivens down the aisle way. And the other page, you know, the guy that you said there was something to. He's in there screaming, why is he not getting better treatment? He's screaming. He's doing a good impersonation of a guy doing a heel wrestler promo. It's not real with this guy. A lot of people say, oh, he does a great promo. No, he he impersonates a great promo. It's not real with him. He's as phony as a fucking football bat. Phony as a get-well card from an undertaker. But he's out there screaming, acting like an indie guy, and ignoring old Stokely. But then Stokely comes up to him, whispers to him, hands him a business card, and Stokely walks off and the other page joins him. And somewhere, Dan Lambert is saying... They didn't tell me they were doing this. And Scorpio Sky is saying, what about me? I'm okay, so now with, I'm suddenly, okay with that. But <laughs> the guy's longtime tag partner, nowhere around. The guy's longtime American top team representative, nowhere around. The new manager comes in. He's building a stable. This fucking guy. I'll say this. And, you know, thinking back to the promo... I can't even really argue against what you're saying. I think his promo's all right, but what you're saying, and you know, as I'm replaying the promo in my head, it's not unrealistic. I understand why you're saying it. But a couple interesting things happened. He's out there doing a heel promo, and the fans started cheering him. And it felt like, okay, this is another one of those Ricky Starks things where the fans are going to you know, cheer the heel 
and he stayed heel. He started yelling at them right away. You recognize that this is not going yeah. the way it's supposed to. <laughs> Whatever they're doing with Stokely, this is the second guy because it was um, Lee Moriarty. He gave a business card to, we assume, I don't know if it's his or if he represents a famous producer in Hollywood, who knows? But this is now two guys, and we'll see where they're going with this. But here's the problem. Get, getting him away from Paige and Lambert is, uh, or from Sky and Lambert is only a good thing. I could agree with that. But here's the problem. You just said the first, okay, is this Stokely Hathaway? Correct. Right? Yeah. I've called him ever Stokely Carmichael. He was Malcolm Bivens on NXT. If you want the fans to take Stokely Hathaway as a manager that will have any impact, that will be in any way meaningful or a, a draw or an attraction or whatever, first guy he gives the card to is not Lee Moriarty. And a second one is not the other page. If you're going to, when you bring managers in and do not give them main event talent, they become underneath managers. When you have an underneath manager, you just got another fucking mouth to feed for no fucking return. There should not be underneath managers. They should not exist. Because all that does is just take away from if you ever were able to find a fucking top manager and draw money with him. If you've got somebody managing the guy in the second match, it takes shine off your manager. So, again, something else that they can't fucking grasp. Go ahead. I want to give this guy a chance to see where they're going because Stokely Hathaway has shown us can't base anything on what he did in NXT because of that system and what they do to people. No, he can talk. I'm not saying it's he bad. He can talk. And maybe I'm wrong, but I noticed something here. And again, he didn't have much to do, but it was the most serious I've ever seen him. And I think that's the one thing with him and people are going to go, oh my God, you're talking to Jim Cornette. I used to watch him on TBS. But I don't think Stokely Hathaway should be cute until people want to kill him. Right. He, he needs to like get serious and make people want to kill him. And then he can go out there and cut some jokes. Again, it's not always the talent's shortcomings. It's the shortcomings of the way that the talent is used. And you can't have a fucking manager of Lee Moriarty and have the same manager be in any way attractive to any main event star. Why would we need this guy? So anyway, moving along quickly. Uh, Tony Schiavone, again, he does all the interviews. And you, you would think that somebody would see him on the side of the ring with an oxygen tank running back and forth from the interview set to the desk. But anyway, this is where it was Daddy Mac Mac Daddy and Cool Hand Luke and Anna J.A.S. And they let Anna Jay talk again, and it's fucking rotten. And now they're trying to act like she's some kind of nutcase that snaps and chokes people out, like she's a shooter. And she runs off camera and chokes out, quote unquote, a production assistant on the side. And nobody, the camera keeps shooting it, even though one of, one of the, the cameraman's own is in need. It was cable access level. It's just so fucking hokey. This is why nobody watches this shit anymore. Oh, Anna Jay. just stupid. Anna Jay's great. Next time you watch her, she can't stop making faces. When she's not talking, she's either pouting or making a duck fly. She's nonstop yeah. making faces the whole Face time. auditions. <laughs> yeah. So then they had a dumpster match. 
And a lot of people may remember that during the infamous Attitude Era, Billy Gunn and Road Dogg, the New Age Outlaws, did a, an angle on Raw where they put Mick Foley, I can't remember what his persona was. Was he Cactus then? I think Cactus. he was Cactus Jack then. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And Terry Funk. Chainsaw Charlie then. Chainsaw Charlie in a dumpster and pushed him off the fucking stage. And there was quite a bit of consternation, especially afterwards when Terry and Mick realized what kind of bump that was going to be. It wasn't a fun fucking deal. But now, because the gun boys, the ass boys, the gun club, are in AEW and Austin and Colton gun have a problem with the acclaimed Max Caster and Anthony Bowens, that they're going to have a dumpster match. It's like a casket match, but you have to put your opponent in a dumpster and close the lid. We haven't seen a regular match between the two teams. No. They just they just were they were friends, then they turned on each other, and now the match is a dumpster match. Cause there's a mark in charge. Actually, that's in insu- wrestling fans are not marks. Marks are really stupid wrestling fans. It's actually an insult an insult to marks to put them on the same plane with Tony Khan's booking, but there you are. So the acclaimed come out to the ramp with the garbage can and just jump the guns and start beating them up and beat them up with garbage cans. They're all fighting on the ramp. And then, and again, this had to be Tony Khan's formatting because nobody else would have done anything like this. The heels come out to get some heat. The baby faces run out and beat him up with a garbage can. Then the baby face asks for his music and he does the full rap entrance while the gun boys, including Billy, have to lay there and sell. And then as soon as Caster's finished with the rap, the heels get back up and attack him again. Which makes the baby faces stupid for stopping in the middle of a fight to fucking sing. This was a Tony Khan from start to finish. And it was probably, this was one of my favorite Max Caster raps. He talked about Vince's fucking retirement. I think, is this the one he had January 6th in? I can't remember what else, but if this hadn't been a garbage dumpster match, no pun intended, is that redundancy repeated redundantly, I would have backed it up and transcribed the rap and done the rap because I've had fun with that. But I needed to get this dumpster match off my fucking screen as quickly as possible. Because as soon as anything goes, by the way, lazy booking. They start the fight, then they do the rap, then they start fighting again on the ramp before the bell. They beat up the heels. The heels have to lay there and sell while the the baby faces rap. Then the heels start fighting again on the floor with a half dozen garbage cans while they're trying to throw each other into a dumpster. Half of this was fought in the entranceway and on tables. And I love the guns and Caster's rap was great, but this was not only a fucking mess, but they're going to get these kids hurt with this stupidity. When effing turned over at the end, I was worried for a second there. Is anybody going to remember this in two weeks? And here's the thing. They pushed, they, they put obviously the heels in the, the, dumpster and you could see the packing peanuts that are lighter than air that do get 
you know, thrown up when somebody jumps in the dumpster, which happened in 1997 and did the same thing. But when they threw these guys in the dumpster and then they shoved it off the edge of the ramp, it landed and turned over and all you saw spill out of it was packing peanuts. I didn't say you never saw any of the humans in the dumpster after it went off the, the cliff. And I'm just wondering if they were smart enough to figure out a trap door and get them out of there or whether they just held on for dear life and weren't thrown out of the thing. But again, Terry Funk and Cactus Jack didn't like the bump in 1997. And to get those two guys to complain about a bump and say, well, we probably shouldn't have done that. What the fuck? So this fiasco was over with. And the last match, I'll go ahead. Do you have anything else to say about it? No, I wish the two teams were used better. I like both teams. And, and Max Caster, match. I just read there was some article about Max Caster. As I said before, because of his talent, he can get a lot of attention. He should be used well. And him and Bowen should be used well. They're good together. Or they can throw him in a dumpster. And the last match. Now, let me get this straight for everybody. CM Punk is the AEW champion, but John Plummer Moxley is the interim champion, and Chris Midlife Crisis Jericho has earned himself a title shot at Moxley's title, and if he wins that, then he'd be in line to reunite with CM Punk, but he's going to put that title shot on the line here tonight against Wheeler Useless. And again, the main event of this program is Jericho versus Yuta. And Yuta's got Claudio in his corner. That's like, okay, I'll put The Undertaker against Taka Michinoku with his second Stone Cold Steve Austin. See, I was able to get Taka in there again. So... I should start using Barry Horowitz. He was more popular anyway. As a guy who was a great guy and never won a fucking match. So, basically, this was the last 15 minutes of the program. Daddy Mac and Cool Hand Luke were with Jericho, and Claudio was with old Wheeler. And Jericho finally beats Wheeler with the walls of Jericho and then keeps it on. As I guess, Claudio, I just skipped through this, because why? Claudio was disappeared somewhere so jericho's got the walls on yuda and here comes the plumber moxley hits the ring jericho bails gets the microphone and jericho tells moxley next week he's gonna stretch the shit out of him chris jericho could not stretch a rubber band i'm not talking about strength wise i'm talking about wrestling ability Chris may have done a lot of things in his life and career and as even as a professional, but as far as being able to amateur wrestle and stretch anybody, Chris couldn't stretch a rubber band. And I don't know if I put any major amounts of money on Moxley as being able to whip anybody in a shoot either. But uh they're gonna they're gonna face each other next week. That was this entire program. Thank God I'm done with that. Your final closing thoughts. They've got way too much talent. They're focusing on a lot of the wrong talent. A lot of the right talent gets misused. 
You get excited whenever anyone you like is actually used on TV, and then you just got to hope they don't rush through something or just waste everyone's time. I can't wait for CM Punk to come back. I can't wait for FTR to return to the television show. Danielson, I'm starting to think Danielson may like the things that Danielson's doing, so that creates a problem. Yeah. But the last couple of months, it's been rough watching this show. I mean, this it's like the period of time where if I didn't have to watch the show for the show, I probably would like take a summer vacation from it because I'm just not enjoying it right now. It's not well formatted. It's just there's so much crap on the show. And a lot of the guys, you don't want them to focus on so much. They're focusing on nonstop right now. I'm serious. If we didn't have to watch it to review it here, I would probably take a break until like Punk came back or something because I'm just not feeling this show at all right now. Well, everybody knows my thoughts, but I thought you, when you said at the start, they've got too much talent. I thought you were going to say they got too much time on their hands. Well, they have too much and talent. To be signed. honest, they, they don't have too, they, they have too many guys signed. They don't have enough talent, but that's a common complaint and malady in the world of wrestling these days. Cause there's not enough talent to go around because most of them are mental incompetence who think this is a dance competition. But anyway, nevertheless, we are finished until we come back on the drive through in a few days. And that's your program. And you're going to be, you're going to be the one having relations with the dog. And I just hold its head on that program. Is that right? I hate to look at it that way. I look at it more like, uh, you know, fine. Look at it that way. Yeah. Look at it that way. All right. We're going to close this thing up folks. Thank you for bearing with us today. And on behalf of Brian, I am Jim. We'll see you on the drive-thru and back next week on The Experience. And until then, thank you, fuck you. Bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. i
I'm in the key. 